This is Indian Noir, India's most critically acclaimed horror and crime storytelling podcast. You are listening to the complete third season of Fear FM. The last house, considered a part of the Damvilas society commune, was set further away from the cluster of other residences, which were mostly occupied by middle-class households and retirees. Its appearance did not match the other single-storied utilitarian houses in its vicinity. Creepers that once adorned the eaves had transformed into tarry ropes and the roof was a patchwork of decayed leaves and filthy moss. The walls had been conquered by root systems that looked like the talons of carnivores. However, the overgrown gardens, the peeling paint and the poorly maintained masonry, which was chipped and stained yellow from water damage, hid glimpses of what was one an ornately constructed home that exuded the trappings of wealth. This was clearly the two-storied residence of a wealthy family that had seen better days. It also looked uninhabited, which was a godsend signal for the thief Charan Singh, who found himself in front of the gates after evading the clutches of two fit police constables chasing him through the neighborhood. It was so rare to find an unoccupied home in this heavily populated part of the city. The pounding of police boots in the distance inspired Charan to leap over its walls. He sneaked up to the front door in the cover of the shadows. He prayed to his favorite god and tried the handle on the front door. To his surprise, it opened with a tiny squeak. Stale air whooshed out of the house like the breath of a monster that had hibernated in its cave for too long. Charan slipped into the darkness of the house and locked the door behind him. He sat on the floor, calmed his breathing and rested his tired legs. The cold granite floor was cold as ice blocks and Charan's calves and his feet thanked him for the respite. The thudding boots approached the house. He could hear the policemen resting in front of the gate, panting and deciding their next course of action. He has slipped us again, that bastard, one of them said. This brought a smile to Charan's lips. The two policemen moved on and Charan let out a big breath. He looked around at the familiar silhouettes of furniture. Some of the items in the house were partially revealed by the faint glow offered by the street lamps. Tables and chairs and almaras covered with white sheets. This will be a perfect place to lay low for a while, he thought. 
No sooner had he finished this thought, he heard tiny snippets of music from upstairs. The muffled notes of an old-timey song from a transistor radio and the sounds of someone humming to it were picked up by his sharp ears. Clearly, someone lived here. His immediate response was not to bolt out of the house. He would recon the place properly before deciding what to do next. Charan was smart like that. He could sniff out an opportunity where others saw problems thanks to his unconventional thinking. Even though the place looked like a dump, there might be valuables here that could keep him well-fed for the next few years. In fact, the state of the place indicated the resident was getting pretty old in the tooth. You saw that with old people who lived alone. They kept to themselves, to the four walls of their rooms, while their palatial homes crumbled around them. People always thought that the really rich ones were the cool cats who spent money on fast cars and ostentatious homes. But Charan's thieving ways had taught him that millionaires were often low-key misers who stuffed their mattresses with money and slept on it. He had a good feeling about the place, about tonight. He climbed the stairs towards the source of the music. Years of sneaking around on the balls of his feet and cat-like movements helped him ascend the stairs without making a noise. He was surprised by the amount of dust that had accumulated on the handrails and the balusters for a house that was occupied. A really filthy mongrel must live here, he thought. When he reached the second-story landing, he noticed that the music was coming from a room to the left. Most likely the master bedroom, he thought. The door was slightly open, and a sliver of light spilled out from within. The lyrics from the song became clearer as he took fleeting steps towards the door. He did not recognize the tune, which was from a 60s flick. It also became clear that what he perceived as humming at first was actually the muffled tones of an ongoing struggle within. His bravado left his body and the hairs on his neck stood to attention. He had no business being here. A quick glance and he was going to bail. He could now sense an all-permeating wrongness about the place. He pushed the frame of the door slightly and peered inside. The music was playing from a bedside transistor that sat next to a flickering table lamp. On the bed was an elderly man, wild-eyed and fearful. Two tall, dark, hairy figures 
whose features were mostly hidden by shadows, stood on both sides of the bed. They had hooked their fingers into the mouth of the elderly man and were pulling and stretching his cheeks sideways from the inside. The old man moaned in pain as the attendant figures cruelly tugged at the wizened flesh around his mouth. (laughs) They were grinning evilly as they tortured the poor soul. (laughs) The elderly soul shrieked as the pain got worse. Charan wanted to leave that very second, but he discovered that he could not move. He could not close his ears or his eyes. Some malevolent force had glued his feet to the ground. It was pressuring him to witness the secret horrors unfolding within the house. The laughter of the violent perpetrators rose to a crescendo as the flesh started to rip and the resultant spray of blood colored the forced, rictus grin of their hapless victim, Red. (coughs) Blood pooled in the old man's mouth and poured down his throat. He was choking and drowning in his own blood. No amount of coughing or spluttering could clear his airway. (laughs) The old man's eyes were rolling back up in the sockets when the cheeks tore in half to paint a Glasgow grin on his bloody face. The killers continued laughing. Only this time, they turned their attention to the peeping Tom leering into the room. Charon whimpered. It was the only sound he could make as the two figures left the bedside and walked towards him with slow, deliberate steps. Their features were still unclear in the darkness as they approached him, and Charon was thankful for that mercy. He would have lost his mind had he witnessed their true visage. As they got nearer, their bodies got closer and closer until they merged into one tall blot of inky blackness. No! Charon screamed. The puddle of darkness in front of his eyes wobbled and oscillated malevolently before vanishing altogether. Where did they go? Charon wondered. It was just him, his labored, frightened breathing, and the bloody corpse of an old man on the bed. He panned his head from left to right.
There was nothing in the shadows. Nothing in the spaces limbed by light. We are free now. Came two voices from behind him. Charan, who was still frozen to the spot and incapable of locomotion, wet his pants, his four hands grabbed his neck from behind and broke his neck. Thirteen-year-old Ekta and her ten-year-old sister Neha watched their mother Parul weeping in the driver's seat of the ancient cream-colored Fiat for what seemed like ages. They had parked in front of their new home in Damvilla society. It was an old two-story monument to the past, which was the only thing they could afford on their mother's meager wages. She was a secretary at the local doctor's office. Their father had abandoned them. He ran away with a young woman in his office to another state to start a new family. Their mother had been crying a lot over the last few months. So Ekta wasn't sure if this was the usual bout of grief or disappointment at the sight of the house, which looked like a boot bungalow. She didn't blame her mother for being upset. The poor woman had been through a lot. Ekta had overheard the grumpy old real estate agent mention to her mother that the only reason they got such a cheap rent was because someone had died there a month ago. A thief who had broken into the home was found on the ground floor with neck injuries. The police had labeled it a suicide. The thought of living in a house where someone had died had filled Ekta with minor dread, for there were greater horrors in life, like dealing with a depressed mother, like trying to explain to her 10-year-old sister why their home life, which was blissful, had imploded one fine day because their father fancied someone younger. Presently, Parul stopped sobbing and wiped away her tears with the pallu of her sari. Her mother was in her late thirties, but the last few months had aged her considerably. Petite and blessed with facial features that exuded kindness, her mother was a loving angel who did not deserve what had happened to her. Ekta's sister looked just like her mother, while everyone said that she took after her father. Ekta wished she could wipe the resemblance away. She didn't want to remember the betrayer when she looked in the mirror. Sorry, girls. Ma will try not to do this to you again, their mother said. Come, let's go into our new home. Ekta opened the side door and coaxed her sister out of the vehicle. Come, Nenu. Nenu was the little one's pet name. Neha did not respond. She stared at the house with a concerned look. What is it, Nenu? Ekta asked. This is a bad place, Neha said. Ekta gazed at the old house that exuded an air of decay and despair. The cleaners sent by the real estate agent hadn't managed to liven up its broken facade. 
It's not a bad place. It is our new home. And if there are bad places in there, we will fill it with light and make it better. Ekta said, reaching a hand out to Neha. Uplifted by her sister's words of encouragement, Neha smiled and stepped out of the car. Ekta and her mother Parul didn't unpack all their belongings on day one, but they did manage to set up Parul's bedroom. The mother and her two angelic children slept on the double bed under the cover of a single sheet. The uneventful night saw the house experience the warmth of human bodies and the sleep sounds of three physically and emotionally exhausted souls in a long time. It did not retaliate. It did not protest. A waning gibbous moon looked down upon its sinister facade as evil brooded in its very foundations, waiting for dawn. The next day, they woke up late. They had a lazy breakfast of sweet white bread slathered in amul butter and a glass of milk before starting their chores which mostly involved unpacking and rearranging their limited furniture. Neha, the little one, played with a large yellow bowl in the front yard, in the overgrown garden to the right of the gate. Ekta looked down at her sister from the second-story window as she helped her mother fold clothes. I don't know how she stays so happy all the time, Ekta said to her mother. Parul smiled and said, That is the best thing about her. When I feel like I am down in the dumps, I listen to her silly stories and it cheers me up. Like the one about the talking horse that apparently lived in our backyard, Ikta said. They both laughed. And your father, Parul began saying before stopping herself. A cloud of sorrow washed over her face. Ekta gently touched her mother's shoulder and said, Come, let's push the Almara into your bedroom. Neha was bouncing the ball against the inside front boundary wall when she heard a disturbance in the nearby foliage. She initially thought it was birds foraging for food, in the treetops. But the swishing, convulsing sound grew stronger with each passing second. She directed her gaze towards the overgrown garden and spotted the source of the disturbance. A tall, dense cluster of hibiscus shrubs were shaking violently, like a human being had climbed inside its dense innards and was rocking it furiously. Neha got such a fright, she threw her ball at the disturbance. It bounced off against the plants and landed at its base and came to a rest. The aggressive shaking ceased abruptly. A faint breeze 
that had offered a cool reprieve to the harsh afternoon sun disappeared as if in fright. Invisible creatures chittered in the undergrowth and bees buzzed around floral bouquets as Neha looked on in anticipation. Four hands with pasty white skin emerged from the shrubbery and pulled the ball into its darksome insides. Neha froze. She whimpered. The breath she had just taken in was stuck in the top of her chest. The ball flew out of the bushes and smacked against her chest. Neha screamed and stumbled back. She tripped on a stone and fell and hit the back of her head. Ekta and Parul rushed to the aid of the little one as soon as they heard her screams. Neha was lying on the ground, crying and mumbling about plants with human hands. Betty, what happened? Parul asked, checking the back of her head. The ball, the hands, Neha said, heavy sobs shuddering down her tiny body. Looks like she just bumped it, Parul said stroking the back of Neha's head. Ninu, what happened? Ekta inquired. There's someone in there. He threw my ball back at me. It hit me so hard in the chest, she said tearfully, pointing to the hibiscus shrubs. A cruel laughter interrupted their attempts to console Neha. Ekta turned her eyes to the source of the intrusion and discovered three skinny boys on their bikes staring through the steel pickets of the gate. The boy, she assumed to be the leader of the group, was a tall, wiry creature with a mop of unruly hair. He looked like he was 14 or 15. A tumorous growth on the right side of his forehead and uneven teeth suited his villainous personality. I love seeing little girls cry, he said. Ekta scrambled to her feet, rushed at the gate and banged against it, causing the boys to startle. One of the bullies got such a fright, he nearly fell off the bike. Did you throw the ball at my sister? Ekta asked in a vehement voice. No, it came from inside the house, from the garden. I told you. Neha interjected. Did you scumbags come into our property? Ekta said to the boys. Chordo, Parul said. Come back, Ekta. Yeah, go back to your mother. She will feed you some milk and sing you a lullaby, the leader of the bullies said, eliciting raucous laughter from the others. The milk I drink every day has given me strong bones, which I would love to plant in your face, Ekta said. The leader of the bullies looked flustered. He said, We were just passing by. No need to accuse us of things we haven't done. But now, you are on my hit list, crazy girl. Ekta raised her fist and threatened a punch. The boys spat on the ground and rode away, threatening future reprisals. 
You're all girls. What are you going to do to us? We will come and get you in your own house. Ekta, Parul said with a disappointed look on her face. But mother, they... Ekta began. We are new here. We shouldn't be making enemies on day one. These kids might be going to your schools. Did you think about that? Parul said. It was going to be a long wait for Ekta before she found out if her mother was right. Ekta looked at her feet and then at her mother before nodding slowly. She noticed Neha was still looking at the bushes. Ekta rushed towards the floral shrubs, spread apart the branches and inspected their shadowed innards. There was no one there. She slapped away cobwebs that clung to her arms and turned to Neha. There is no one there, Nenu. I'm not lying. There was someone in there, Neha shouted. Are you sure you want to do this? Ekta asked Neha as they stood indecisively in front of the red telephone. Yes, I want to tell father about the swelling in the back of my head. Neha said, Tell him about what happened in the garden. Their father had given the girls his landline number in case of an emergency. Ekta wasn't sure the heartless man would tolerate Neha's pleas for attention. We might be disturbing him, Ekta said looking at the clock. It was close to 7pm. He might be having dinner after coming back from the office. You know how he is. He doesn't like being disturbed while he's eating, Ekta said. I want to talk to him, Neha said stubbornly. Ekta sighed before punching the numbers in the dial pad. After about ten rings, a gruff voice picked up the phone and said, Hello. Ekta froze at the sound of her father's voice. No matter how cruel his nature was, no matter what he had done to them, he was still her father. Some part of her still loved him. Hello. Let me talk to him, Neha shouted excitedly. Tears welled up in Ekta's eyes. She wanted to say hello, tell him how difficult things had been financially and emotionally. She wanted to beg him to come back home. But she couldn't utter a word. Is that you bratty girls again? How many times do I have to tell you not to bother me unless there is an emergency? Is your mother not there to look after your welfare? Is that useless woman in front of the TV? He began ranting. Ekta slammed the phone down. She heard a click from the back of the house. It was the sound of the kitchen phone being placed on its cradle. She didn't realize that her mother was listening in on the conversation. A small sob emerged from the room. She could imagine her mother standing there with her hand on the telephone unit, her head pressed against the wall, tears streaming down her face. What did he say? You didn't let me talk to him. Neha said in an upset tone before throwing a tearful tantrum. She rolled on the floor, demanding to speak to her father. Haven't you both had your dinner? Ekta, take Neha to bed. 
her mother shouted from the kitchen in a bitter voice. Ikta let out a big sigh before picking up Neha. Ikta was in deep sleep when a sound woke her up. The two sisters were in their second-story bedroom, sleeping on two single beds that were an arm's length apart. The faint moonlight and the street lamps crafted creepy shadows on the walls closer to the window. But the rest of the room was drenched in darkness. Ikta checked on Neha. She was sleeping peacefully. She felt sorry for her little sister. Her innocent face, which featured a slight frown, tugged at her heartstrings. There it was again. The creaking sound of the door being nudged open. The fact that a thief had broken into the house filled her with dread. That he had died in one of the downstairs rooms. Stop, Ekta, she said to herself. She focused her attention on the door and saw that it was partially open. Didn't she close it before going to bed? Maybe her mother had come to check on them before she called it a night and forgot to close the door. Ekta stepped down from her bed and walked towards the door. She stopped abruptly as her eyes fell on a shape just outside the door. It was darker than the nighttime darkness that dwelled in the house. Her mouth went dry. She stepped back slowly. Her breathing suddenly became shallow. She thought she saw the glinting forms of two pairs of watery malevolent eyes just for a second. A cat yowled somewhere outside in the street and startled Ekta. She took a few deep breaths, said a prayer to Lord Shiva and determinedly moved towards the door. When she got closer, the gloom parted to reveal nothing but the walls of the corridor. She let out a puff of air from her mouth in relief. Just the dark playing tricks, she thought, before closing the door and heading back to sleep. The two pairs of eyes watched the door close. They liked what they saw in the others. The weaklings, the mother and the little girl. However, this one, the older daughter, there was an aura about her. 
a latent power that filled them with unease. The mother and the little girl would have to wait a bit longer for a delicious reckoning. The elder daughter was going to pose some problems. They loved it when their prey showed some fight. They melted back into the fabric of the house, which was their vile playground, with satisfied moans. The girls chased each other around the house as Parul prepared a dish of sweetened rice dedicated to the goddess Lakshmi on the stove. The house had 13 rooms in total, six upstairs and seven downstairs. Of this, five rooms, including the access to the basement, were permanently locked and the family did not have access to the keys. The game Neha had devised involved the participants attempting to chase and catch the runner, with both parties having the added responsibility of whacking the permanently locked doors, which served as checkpoints. If the chaser missed a checkpoint, they would have to reset the chase. If the one being pursued failed at this task, they would immediately lose the round. After five rounds of the game, Ekta noticed that every time they slapped on the locked access door to the basement, she could hear chains clanking. She was about to slap the door to verify the theory when Parul called out to them from the kitchen. She was waiting for them with bowls of the sweetened dessert. The reason we are doing this is not just to celebrate our Grah Pravesh, Parul said watching the girls enjoy their desserts. As you know, Ma starts back at work tomorrow, but I'm going in today to ask the good doctor for a pay rise, given our changed circumstances. I'm hoping he will show me kindness, and I thought some divine help would be greatly appreciated. She smiled at her children and stroked both of their heads. So, may Goddess Lakshmi shower good luck on us. Parul said before eating a spoonful of the dish. Good luck, Ma! Ekta and Neha shouted gleefully. After enjoying a few spoonfuls of the offering, their mother looked at the clock and said, Oh God, time just flies when you're cooking. I have to be at the doctor's in 15. Be good girls. Parul grabbed the car keys from the top of the fridge. She gave both girls a kiss on the forehead before rushing out of the front door and jumping into the banged-up Fiat. The girls watched the car disappear around the corner before closing the gate. Hope you get some more money, Ma, Neha said. Ekta, moved by Neha's words, gave her a sweet look and ruffled her hair. (laughs) 
they heard a metallic noise from the kitchen. What was that, Didi? Neha asked. They locked the main door behind them and rushed to the kitchen to investigate. <laughs> oh my God, Ikta said. The vessel containing the sweet dish had been thrown to the floor and its contents had spilled onto the tiles. Who did this? Neha exclaimed. Must be a cat. I thought I heard one the other night, Ikta said. But where is it? Their bemused consideration was interrupted by the sounds of chains clanking against one of the wooden doors on the ground floor. The sisters looked at each other in concern. Ekta grabbed onto Neha's hands and walked towards the incessant clunking. As soon as they exited the kitchen, they were able to narrow the source of the sound to the locked door to the basement. Ekta gulped audibly before inching forwards. Neha hugged Ekta's right hand tightly and hid her face behind her sister's body. There was no doubting the nature of the sound. Chains jangling and slamming against the insides of the door. For a second, Ekta contemplated using the landline to call the doctor's office to see if her mother could come home. But she didn't want to disturb her on such an important day. The sound stopped. Ekta looked down at her sister. Could be the pipes, she mused loudly, more for her own benefit. Neha peeked out from behind Ekta at the innocuous door, which remained shut. Ekta drew courage from her logical mind and walked up to the door. She said a prayer, made a fist and banged on it. Nothing. The dusty plane door remained undisturbed. She was about to try the door handle when someone knocked on the front door. What? Ekta said with a startle. Ekta latched onto Neha and made her way to the front of the house. She was eager to get away from the unnerving sounds coming from the basement. But what awaited them at the entrance to the house? The two sisters attended the front door and looked through the eye hole. A middle-aged woman with sunken eyes and sweaty skin came into view. Ekta opened the door. Namaste. Hello, the woman said hesitantly. She was overweight and her skin was dotted with numerous moles and dried patches of eczema. The dark rings around her eyes signified sleepless nights. A swathe of grey crossed the front of her otherwise jet black hair. She cracked her fingers nervously as she took in the sight of the girls. 
You are both young, she blurted. Ekta's forehead creased as she gave her a confused look. Who are you? Neha asked. I am your neighbor, Sujatha, she said. Our mother is not here, Ekta said. Ah, I will come and see her later, Sujatha said. She stepped back, preparing to leave, but then she stopped and asked, Is everything okay here? Are you both safe? What do you mean? Ekta said. Any strange incidents? She prodded. Her words raised the hair on the back of Ekta's neck. I'm not sure what you mean. Ekta said hesitantly. The sounds of the chains clashing against the door rung in her ears. A strange sights. Noises. Sujada said. We had a cat or something knocked down the dessert my mother made. Ekta began saying. Other things. The lady said eagerly. Did you see anything? Anyone? We heard this strange sound from the locked door that leads to the basement. It stopped when we got there. Ekta said. The lady's eyes widened in fear. Her lips trembled. My sister got scared, Ekta said, turning around to look at Neha. But her sister was gone. Neha? Neha? Ekta shouted into the house. But she did not receive a reply. Neha was looking on as her sister chatted with the lady, who introduced herself as their neighbor. (laughs) A little girl giggled from one of the inner rooms, and Neha looked in the direction of the sound. She glimpsed a little girl in a pink floral dress running away. Come, chase me, the child chided. Maybe a little girl, just like her, sneaked into the house while they were busy snacking on mother's treat. Could she have caused the mischief in the kitchen and made all the strange noises? Neha wondered. Neha tried to draw her elder sister's attention by slapping on her thighs, but Ekta was engrossed in what the neighbor was saying. The lady was asking if they noticed anything strange in the house. Neha decided that she didn't like this woman. She had eyes which darted nervously. Her worrisome manners made Neha anxious. (laughs) The little girl tittered again. The voice said. Neha decided she would have to catch this girl and drag her to her elder sister for a much-deserved punishment. Maybe they could make this mischievous child clean up the kitchen. Neha left her sister's side and chased after the little girl. She followed the trail of the child only to reach the locked door to the basement. 
The giggles seemed to be coming from behind it. She heard footsteps pounding down a creaky staircase and the laughter echo from beneath the house. The little girl is hiding in the basement, Neha realized. Neha hesitantly approached the door and touched it. A static buzz sizzled against her palm. Who are you? Neha asked. Why are you hiding in the basement? (laughs) The little girl's laugh transformed first into an animal growl before changing its timbre and becoming something truly monstrous. Didi, Neha said fearfully, stepping away from the door. As she looked on, the surface of the door melted and slagged into a ripple-ridden pool which retained the color of the door. Two featureless heads emerged from it like fingers poking out of a latex glove. Their mouths yawned open as they dipped down towards the frightened girl. The shock of the hellish sight robbed little Neha of her consciousness. Ekta slammed the door on the neighbor's face and rushed into the house to look for her sister. Neha! Neha! Ekta shouted as she scanned the rooms, starting with the kitchen. Eventually, she came upon the unconscious form of her sister in front of the basement door. Ekta cradled Neha's small body and slapped her cheeks. The little girl was breathing, but she was refusing to open her eyes. Neha looked up at the door to see what might have caused Neha to faint. Then she saw it. The basement door was partially open. She let out a surprised scream. Electric sensations prickled at her skin. Stale air, soughing from the basement, carried whispers and the fecal scent of putrescent beings. A blue glow from the basement grew brighter and spilled out of the partially open door. It fell on Aikta's face like the warm hands of a loving mother. It saturated her vision with its brightness and blotted out the view of the door and her surroundings. It made her forget about the unconscious sibling that lay in her arms. A sound like the onrush of a hurricane filled her ears for nearly a minute before dissipating. Ekta opened her eyes. She was in a forest at dusk. Darkness was creeping from the west, blotting out the last skeins of light, like the extinguishment of hope. The intense buzzing of insects and the restless wind in the trees added to the terrifying atmosphere. The forest stretched for miles on both sides. Where was she? What was this place? Ekta wondered. (laughs) 
Two mouths roared in anger and Ekta snapped her head in its direction. Something brutish and hulking was tearing through the foliage and rushing at her, like a wild elephant charging at trespassers who had soiled its territory with their presence. Ekta instinctively knew this was no animal. The entity thundering towards her was a vessel which hosted powerful malign energy. It was powered by hate, driven by kill fever. From the east, a benevolent voice called out to her. Ikta, run. It urged from the distance. She ran, not because it commanded her. Raw terror powered her powerful strides. Ikta, come child. Our meeting is inevitable, said the kind voice. Ikta's heart thudded in her chest. Her lungs burned as her legs pounded the forest floor. Her mind screamed questions at her, which had no answers. She needed to escape this place. She needed to get back to Neha, to her mother. Come, child, come. Grave danger is headed your way. It wishes to assimilate you into its dark falls. It wants the light in you to be extinguished forever, the benevolent voice said. It sounded like a saint, a father figure. <laughs> a bellow of rage from behind her drew Ekta's attention. The silhouette of the seven-foot-tall monstrosity featured two heads. Its muscular arms shredded the vegetation, and its solid legs destroyed the undergrowth without mercy. Its vile, rattling breath sent the birds in the trees fleeing. The sky seemed to tremble as it made threats at Ekta's fleeing figure. Come, child, come! Her saviour called out to her. Ekta ran towards the voice, trusting its intentions. She ran like her life depended on it. This was no nightmare. She believed the graceful voice offered the sole hope of escape. In the distance, she saw pinpricks of light dotting a blurred figure. As she got closer, she could make out a pair of tusks and watery dark animal eyes. It was limbed in holy radiance. The initial glimpse filled her with trepidation. Was this a trap? Did she doom herself by following this course? Behind her, the monstrous being roared in frustration. She could sense it speeding up. <coughs> I'm nearly there. Come on. Ekta urged her body. <laughs> the entity cackled as it gained ground on her. Ekta was fast approaching the divine figure, her prospective saviour. But before she could reach it, the figure exploded with the radiance of a thousand suns. 
The fiery detonation lifted her off the forest floor and threw her into a blindingly white vision. Its soundscapes were familiar to her. The roar of the wind composed of the cries of a million dead souls. Ikta, Ikta, wake up, wake up, a voice said as she opened her eyes. Her mother and Neha were looking at her worriedly. Neha, are you okay? Ikta said, scrambling up and hugging her sister. How long have you both been lying here? Parul asked. I woke Neha up first. What happened, Ikta? Ikta shook her head as she hugged her sister tightly. I'm so glad you are okay, she said, tears rolling down her cheek. Neha was making no sense. You tell me, Betty, what happened here? Parul asked Ikta. Ikta, who was still hugging Neha, looked at her mother with fearful eyes and said, I don't know if what I am about to tell you will make any sense. The house slumbered in silence for the rest of the week, giving Ekta and Neha the time and space to process their fears and share their experiences with their mother. While Parul acknowledged their feelings, she seemed hesitant to ratify the truth behind what had transpired. It's a stressful time for all of us, she kept saying. The girls had just gotten over the bitterness of their mother's denials when she sprang a surprise on them on Sunday morning. Parul led the girls to the basement door and opened it nonchalantly. Come on, don't be afraid, Parul said as she flicked on a switch that brightened the stale interior of the basement. Ekta and Neha hesitated as they stared down the stairs that led to the underground lair. Be brave. I came here when you girls were taking a bath and changed the bulb, Parul said with a smile. No, no, Neha whimpered as she stepped back. I even went down there. It's just an empty basement, Parul said in a reassuring voice. But the door was locked, Ekta said. I told you. Parul interjected. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe the lock was stuck. Maybe when you were playing your game of chase the robber and banging on it like lunatics, it came loose. But, Ekta began saying, Parul grabbed Ekta's arm and guided her down the steps. A frightened Neha had no choice but to accompany her family. She followed them hesitantly, biting her nails. The creaky stairs, which were in need of urgent repairs, took them down to an empty, low-ceilinged space that was grey and cold. (laughs) 
It was lit by a single bulb hanging from the centre of the room. Ekta remembered the basement in her auntie's house in Vadodara. That room at least had some old furniture in it. She had always imagined basements as dark homes for unloved junk. However, this space was sparse and sad. But that was the physical state of the place. Ekta felt a pressure at the back of her head. The feeling of someone or something watching the proceedings intently from some distant plane of reality. See, I told you, there is no little girl here. No two-headed monsters, Parul said with a smile. What about the things I saw? In my head, Ekta said. Parul approached the girls and sat on her knees. Some members of my family had the ability to see events from the past. At least that's what they told me. I don't know if there is any truth to it. I never had anything special about me. But I wouldn't be surprised if you girls have inherited some of those traits, Parul said. Parul was of course referring to her paternal family, a renowned house of Mahatantra. The lineage had produced some of the finest astrologers, priests and psychics in India. Ekta saw a shadow of sorrow cross her mother's face. Parul's family had abandoned her when she eloped with Ekta's father. They had disowned her and had not been in touch for more than a decade. Her mother wiped a tear from her left eye, no doubt thinking of her own father, Pandit Ranjan Prasad, a famous and powerful tantric who was once invited by the president to cleanse the Rashtrapati Bhavan. Ekta's grandfather was still alive. Ekta wished they were close to her grandparents. All she had of them were some newspaper clippings and photographs. Her mother's sorrow was her sorrow. Her mother's isolation was her isolation. It was eating away at her soul, slowly and steadily. She wanted to find a solution before the darkness claimed Neha too. For that reason, she felt it was important to support her mother. For that reason, she was prepared to entertain her mother's denials for now. There is no booth here, my sweetness. Parul was presently saying to Neha, who was hugging her tightly. No sooner had Parul said this, they were startled by a most incredible racket of solid objects impacting their roof. The sound of rocks pelting their home. Parul looked at the girls incredulously before saying, Let's go and see what's happening. Ekta grabbed Neha's arm and rushed up the stairs, following the hurried footsteps of her mother. Just before Ekta exited the basement, she noticed an iron ring cemented into the wall. She wondered if iron chains were looped through the halo in the past to imprison someone or something in the cold and colourless basement. 
She wondered if the pressure boring into the back of her head was the hateful gaze of a spiteful being that had been incarcerated in such a manner. Ekta's neighbor, Sujatha, was drawn to the commotion next door. She ran out of her home to find a rain of rocks thumping into the roof of the blighted house she despised with every cell in her body. She recognized the perpetrators immediately. Not surprisingly, it was Vidhu and his two minions, the local bullies. Sujatha had always wondered where their parents were and how they had managed to bring up such uncouth children. The boys pulled rocks out of a cloth bag and chucked it at the roof with gleeful expressions. Presently, Sujatha saw the mother and the two girls who lived in the house approaching the gates. Parul and Ekta were scolding the tormentors. The boys ceased their unpleasant activity and screamed obscenities at them. Sujatha's eyes wandered over the facade of the cursed house, the horrible place that had haunted her dreams, the damned dwelling she knew so much about. She was burdened with the knowledge of what had truly transpired there, and it had a detrimental effect on her mental and physical well-being. It was as if the doomed energies of the house were reaching out and eating away at her like acid. Sujatha looked up at the top floor windows. There was a hunched shape in one of the windows, a conjoined abomination limbed by light. Two sets of grey-flecked cruel eyes observed the proceedings in front of the house. She saw a pair of leering mouths grinning in delight. Sujatha reeled back, suppressing a scream with an open palm. She had to tell them soon. She had struggled with her courage for nearly a decade now, and that cowardice had cost the people who had the misfortune of moving into that haunted house. The thing that lived in its shadows was getting bolder. She suddenly remembered the horrible things that had happened to the people who previously lived there. In particular, she reminisced about the last family that resided there. Memories flashed in Sujatha's mind. The poor eight-year-old, a little girl in a floral dress, giggling and playing in the garden. The same child emerging from the house in a white bundle placed on a stretcher. The wails of her mother threatened to rend Sujatha's eardrums and unseat her sanity. 
Sujata shook her head. This time, when she looked back at the second-story windows, there was nothing but shadows. She would have to tell the mother and the two girls the truth. The dried patches of skin on Sujata's arms burned, and she scratched them with anxious energy till they bled. The stone pelting incident had upset Neha so much that a trip to the ice cream van was the only way to calm her down. Parul drove the girls to a nearby park where the food truck was located. It was a popular destination for ice cream, cream buns and chilled fruity. The shady trees provided great respite from the blazing afternoon sun. The city council workers had left the creatively designed sprinklers made from plastic bottles on and it showered rainbow-colored sprays of water on the grass. While Parul approached the van to order food, Ekta sat next to Neha on a bench, stroking her back. The little girl was still sobbing as she stared into the distance. I know the last few days have been very hard for you, Ekta said. It's been really hard for all of us. I want to go to father, Neha said tearfully. Things wouldn't be so scary if he was here. Neha, father, Ekta began saying. Papa would have hit the boys with the broom and sent them packing, Neha said. Father is gone. Mother is trying her best to give us a home, to keep us happy, Ikta said. I don't know if she can protect us from the thing, Neha said. What thing? Ikta asked. It had two scary faces and it came out of the door like a snake, Neha said, hiding her face in her hands. What she had witnessed had clearly traumatized her. It hurt Ekta to see her sister like this, so she chose to lie. Maybe we imagined it, Ekta began saying. It threw the ball at me, I told you, but you didn't believe me. You and mother are the same, Neha said. Ekta was left speechless. You cannot protect me. Neha accused her. Parul was now approaching the girls with two ice creams and a cream bun nestled inside a brown bag. Stop crying, darling. Look, mother is coming with some treats, Ekta said. Neha shook her head defiantly. Well, I'm hungry and you know how much I like cream buns, Ekta said, grabbing the delicacy from her mother's hand. What is the drama here, hmm? Still upset, little one? Parul said. 
Neha looked up at the ice cream her mother had extended in her direction and then looked down. Come on, Parul said encouragingly. It is a great afternoon for an ice cream. A bit later, Neha reluctantly accepted the treat. Ekta, who had by now taken a bite of the cream bun, spat it out and started dry heaving. <coughs> it tastes like poop, she said. <coughs> what? Parul said before looking down at her own ice cream. Maggots crawled out of the mound of frozen vanilla-flavored scoop and reared its head up before wiggling towards Parul's hand. Parul dropped her ice cream on the grass before snatching the one in Neha's grasp and hurling it into the bushes. Ekta vomited. She scraped at her tongue with her nails to get rid of the fecal flavor that laced her taste buds. Parul rubbed Ekta's back as she retched Ropes of saliva. Ekta waved her mother away, unable to deal with the sensation of her fingers caressing her back. More heaving and gagging. Ekta heard her mother shout at the food van owner, who was vehemently denying any accusation of selling rotten food. Tears had blurred Ekta's eyes, thanks to her attempts to vomit. So at first, she thought she was seeing things. A copse of withered trees behind the food van drew her attention. There, in the low-lying boughs, a figure composed of the blackest blacks was watching her. A pair of mouths with spindly yellow teeth and two pairs of snow-white eyes leered at her. Ekta furiously wiped her eyes with her slaver-laden hands and fixed her gaze on the spot. She was not imagining things. A grey eel-like creature emerged from where the apparition's belly button would have been and snaked up towards its face. The blighted creation split in two and entered the two mouths like glistening worms seeking wet orifices in bloated, decaying corpses. The figure met Ekta's gaze and smiled. It then moved back into the shadows and disappeared, leaving Ekta shaking and disturbed. You cannot protect me! Neha's voice rang in Ekta's ears. On Monday morning, Parul closed the door behind her and walked towards the fiat with a heavy heart. Neha was running a fever and Ekta had to take on the role of the carer for the day. My poor children, she thought. She could see how the sorrow unleashed on them by their father's abandonment 
their stressful move, their precarious financial situation, and the horrendous events of the last few days had driven them to hallucinate about monsters in the basement. Padal was barely holding it together. She cried every night to sleep, stung by the memories of her husband's betrayal. Her waking hours were weighed down by the guilt of leaving her children alone while she worked. The doctor had mercifully increased her wage, and she had used that to give the children little joys that might perk them up. But look how things turned out at the park. She seethed in anger at how the food van owner had denied he was selling expired food items. Parul closed the car door and looked back at the house in the rear-view mirror. It was an old place, no doubt, but she hadn't experienced anything untoward in its rooms. They were lucky to get this place. Fortunate to have a roof over their heads. A niggling thought entered her mind as she turned the ignition to the on position. Could the children be telling the truth? She was not convinced by the tales they told her at first, but her wall of disbelief was starting to crack ever so slightly. What if? What if? There was no time to pursue this line of investigation at present. She needed to work, needed to put food on the table. School would begin in a matter of weeks, and she would be slammed with a host of expenses. Padal wiped her tears and let out an exhausted sigh before driving away. Neha was muttering in her sleep. Ekta tried to make sense of her utterances by placing her ear next to her sister's mouth. She could barely make out words like the 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 thing two 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 head headed Ekta checked the wet cloth on Neha's forehead. It was starting to dry out. She pulled it off Neha's clammy skin and was about to dip it into the bowl of water when she noticed that it was nearly empty. She picked it up and gave Neha a sympathetic look. She looked so vulnerable when she was sick. Ekta's heart skipped a beat. She exited the room and descended the stairs to head to the kitchen. She was midway down the stairs when her eyes fell on a cluster of motes of light suspended in mid-air. It tinkled like a wind chime made of glass adornments bumping against each other. The harsh glare of a sun from another dimension bounced off its surface and gave it an eerie luminosity. Ekta's jaw dropped as she tried to make sense of what she was witnessing. She didn't sense any malevolence from the strange manifestation. In fact, it reminded her of the benevolent voice from the forest in her vision. The ethereal display glowed with a blue light which grew blindingly radiant with each passing second. 
A sound like the onrush of a hurricane filled her ears for nearly a minute before dissipating. Ikta was back in the forest. It was a more pleasant part of the biome with fruiting trees, carpets of colorful wild flowers and babbling brooks. Sun rays, warm and golden, lit up the foliage and gave every object a heavenly sheen. I had to talk to you. It was important. A voice said from behind her. Ikta snapped around and gasped at the sight of a red-robed figure with a boar's head. Its eyes radiated kindness, but the sharp tusks jutting out of its mouth displayed predatorial menace. Do not be afraid, my child, it said. Ikta stumbled back and fell on her buttocks. You... you can talk. Who are you? What is... what is this place? Ikta said, scrambling back even further away from the figure. I know this is a shock to you. Before I answer your questions, I want to assure you that I will not hurt you. You are terrifying, but I don't sense malice in you. Unlike... Ikta said as she looked around, remembering the two-headed monstrosity that had rampaged through the forest. The shock of arriving in this strange reality and the sight of the anthropomorphic figure was suddenly dulled by Ikta's curiosity. She was not hallucinating. This vision, like the previous one, was real. The boar-headed entity smiled a human smile. I don't have a name. My worshippers, those who practice the arts of Mahatantra, call me by many names. But... They are just human constructs, the boar said. Are you an avatar of Vishnu? Ikta asked. No, I can see why you would think I might be the Varaha avatar of the Lord who dreams the cosmic dreams. But I am not. Sorry to disappoint you. The being chuckled. But I am made of the essence of the Thrimurthis. This is a barrier world between the realm of the dead and the Empire of the Living, and I am its guardian." Ikta shook her head, unable to comprehend what she was hearing. I, 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 she stammered. We don't have a lot of time, so listen carefully, Ikta, the Divine Being said. You know my name? Ikta asked in surprise. I know your grandfather too, the boar said. Before Ekta could express her shock at this news, the Divine Being continued. This forest exists in real life. It is on the outskirts of the city you live in. It is called Merakaranya.
It was never a part of this barrier world. But many decades ago, a horrible psychic event occurred there. And it caused that cursed space to breach the sanctity of this domain. It has been trying to burst the dam that stops the dead and the demonic from invading the world of the living. I cannot defend it alone. I am helped by tantrics such as your grandfather, who used their psychic might to banish demons and keep the darkness at bay. The creature said, God, this is all too much to take. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. What do you need from me? Why have you brought me here? Ekta asked. Neha was woken from her feverish dream by the sound of a little girl's giggles. <laughs> Neha slowly opened her eyes and blinked. The ceiling of her bedroom came into focus. The tittering child demanded Neha's attention. Neha lifted her head up and looked towards the open door that led to the corridor. A little girl was standing at the door with a mischievous look on her face. She was unusually fair, almost pale, like she had never been in the sun. She must have been around eight years old. She had almond-shaped eyes and rosy red lips. Her hair was curly and tied in a raised bunch with the aid of a band. Her floral dress had seen better days. It reminded Neha of desiccated pieces of clothing showcased in museum exhibits which usually belonged to those who had died in some historic event. Was this the same girl who she encountered the other day? The child that had lured her to the basement door. Fear bloomed in Neha's heart. Are you going to get up and play with me? The little girl asked before smiling an unnaturally wide smile. You are not good, Neha said. What do you mean? The child asked disappointedly. You are not nice, Neha added fearfully. What do you mean? The voice emanating from the child took on an aggressive edge. You got me in trouble the other day, and, and I saw something terrible. You're bad, Neha said. No, I am not. I am a cutie pie. That's why they broke my neck. The thing said before its neck snapped and rotated 180 degrees to face behind it. Neha leapt out of the bed 
forgetting about her ailments. She felt woozy as soon as her feet was planted on the floor. She steadied herself and screamed, Didi! Without wasting a precious second, she bolted towards the almara that was to the right of her bed. It was the primary storage space for her and Ekta's clothes. There was an empty section in the middle of the cupboard where Neha usually hid while playing hide-and-seek with Ekta. The back of the little girl's head, which was facing Neha, tore open and a round well of bloody flesh, featuring stained human teeth in the hundreds, roared in hatred. The being chased after Neha, screaming threats and obscenities. Just before its hungry hands could grab her, Neha managed to close the doors and hold on to the inside handles. The enraged ghost tugged at the doors at first and then yanked it with great ferocity. It had the demeanor of a child throwing a tantrum and the hunger of a monster that had not fed on the soul of innocence for a millennia. <coughs> Neha held on to the handles for dear life and screamed her sister's name, hoping and praying that she would come to her aid. What do you want from me? Ekta asked the red-robed figure with a boar's head. The guardian of the barrier world between the land of the dead and the realm of the living gave her a sympathetic nod before answering. Your family is in danger. You are in grave peril. What is haunting us? Ekta asked, her voice cracking. Something that should have long departed to distant shores, but is anchored to this world by hatred. It will not stop until someone banishes it to the pits of Maraga, the divine being said. And that person is me? Ikta said incredulously. You are not ready yet. The tides of fate will bring you a teacher who can guide you in your practice. You are speaking in riddles. Ekta accused him. You will know when the time comes. You must recognize this guru and become his disciple. You must face a myriad of challenging tests that will push you to the edge of sanity. You must strive to master the art of Mahatantra. You must aid me in this eternal battle between the unwelcome tide of evil and those who are blessed with the strength of the Thrimurthis. Without the talents of rare individuals like you, all is lost, the boar said, deep concern etched on its face. You keep saying I am special. 
I am not special. I don't have any talents. You know, my sister was very honest with me the other day. She said to me that I won't be able to protect her. She doesn't trust me to defend her against the evils of this cruel world my family finds itself in. You know how that made me feel? Ekta said, tears streaming down her cheeks. In time, the divine creature said. No, no, I need more answers from you, Ekta said stubbornly. We will not speak like this again. If your practice is strong, you will hear my words, and my strength will flow through you, the being said. Wait, this is not right. It's not fair that you leave me with just riddles, Ekta said in a desperate tone. In the distance, a flock of birds shot up in the air, disturbed by the bestial roar of something that was composed of pure evil. The guardian's head whipped in the direction of the disturbance, worry writ large on its face. You must go now. Your sister is in mortal danger. Pardal snuck out of the doctor's office during her late afternoon break to make a call from the phone booth across from the practice. After the tenth ring, her ex-husband picked up on the other end. Hello, he said. Pardal's lips refused to form words. Hello, the voice said. It's me, Pardal, she said finally. What do you want? The man said without emotion. The girls are in a bad way. They really miss you, and they have been making up these stories about ghosts. I'm certain they're just looking for attention, Parul said. What do you want me to do about it? The man said. I know you won't be able to come and visit them regularly, but I was hoping you could call them every few days. It might help with their mental state, Parul pleaded. I'm not a psychologist, he said bluntly. You are their father. Don't you have any love for your... Pardal began saying when the line went dead. A pall of disappointment fell on her. It threatened to suffocate her within the confines of the phone booth. A cruel laughter rang inside the booth from all four directions. Parul jumped at the scary sound and dropped the phone which plummeted towards the floor. (laughs) She screamed as the laughter rose in volume before abruptly cutting out. Silence reigned. She panted as she looked around for hidden speakers. The clear glass on the phone booth offered a view of empty sidewalks and the occasional vehicle driving into the city. What was that? Parul wondered fearfully as she exited the booth in a hurry.
strength drained from Neha's tiny limbs, as the monstrous creation, baying for her blood, hauled at the door handles to gain access to the little one's hiding place. <coughs> Didi! Neha screamed. The entity would half-open the cupboard doors and shriek with hatred into its confines before Neha closed it back up again. Each time, the doors parted wider, much to Neha's horror. It was only a matter of time before the evil manifestation overpowered her. Go away! Go away! Neha shouted at the thing. Its ruinous creatures emanated from a shaft of cord flesh featuring stained human teeth in the hundreds. The denticles clicked and bowed every time the orifice opened and closed with ravenous intentions. <coughs> Gooey spittle splashed against Neha's face when the creature roared into the almada. <coughs> Didi! Neha screamed as strength drained from her tiny hands and the doors flung open. <laughs> the spirit let out a cruel laugh as amniotic drool oozed out of the borehole of teeth. The cursed thing was clearly excited by the prospect of devouring the little girl. It stalked towards the terrified howling form of Neha, savoring every step it took towards its prey. Ekta was flung back through a sensory hurricane and found herself back on the staircase. Neha's screams rang out from the second-story bedroom. Ekta ignored the sickening sensation in her stomach, a result of the interdimensional travel, and rushed to her sister's rescue. When Ekta entered the bedroom, she was horrified to find a tall, shadowy figure that defied logic standing in front of the Almada. Its doors were flung open and Neha was hiding in her usual spot. Neha's hands were pressed against her cheeks and she was screaming at the top of her lungs. The dark shape vaguely resembled conjoined twins attached to each other at the waist. The features on its body were blurred. It resembled the x-ray of a creature that had not quite managed to manifest its true form. The shadow spirit raised both its arms and was about to grab onto Neha when Ekta stepped forward and bellowed at the top of her voice. Be gone! You do not belong here! She did not know where those exact words came from, nor was she certain of the arcane psychic source empowering those words was the guardian of the barrier world, intending to work miracles through her? Or was she the source of the psychic might that electrified her body and resonated in her vocal cords? The manifestation snapped around and looked at Ekta's determined face. It bellowed in anger and charged at Ekta. But Ekta stood her ground and uttered the word of power again. Begone! A translucent blast of psychic force slammed against the apparition 
and wiped it clean from existence, like a drawing wiped off the face of a board. Neha emerged from her hiding place and ran towards her sister. She wrapped her hands around Ekta's waist and let out a heart-rending wail. Padu was driving back home from the clinic when her attention was drawn to a strange scratching sound emanating from the back seat. At first, she thought the car was having some kind of mechanical issue. Great, she thought. That's the last thing I need on top of everything else. Parul stopped the car. She stepped out and checked the back seat and the wheels. She lifted the bonnet and examined the engine compartment. There seemed to be nothing wrong with the vehicle. The sound returned as soon as she started the car. She decided she was going to ignore it till the next day. She had just had a rough day. And she wanted to go home and hug her children. When Parul rang Ekta in the morning, Neha was still sleeping through the fever. But her condition hadn't worsened. Nevertheless, she couldn't wait to check in on her dearest Nenu. The incident in the phone booth had shaken her. It had taken her nearly an hour to get rid of the jitters. Clearly, the stress of recent events was affecting her the same way it was bothering the children. But the sound of laughter, she considered, even as she dealt with the scratching sound that was annoying her at present. It had to be some kids nearby, someone across the road maybe. I was too upset from the phone call. And maybe I imagined it was coming from within the phone booth. That's it. That explains it. Parul concluded. She looked at the road sign that blitzed past her window as she continued to drive. Not too far to go now, she thought. A wave of sadness threatened to overcome her as she recalled her ex-husband's words. The cold-hearted manner in which he had disconnected the call, just like he had severed his bond with them one rainy night. I'm leaving. You don't make me happy anymore. Someone else does. He had said before walking out of the door with two packed suitcases. She wiped her tears and drove on even as the scratching noise grew louder. It was starting to grate on her nerves. Maybe it's a rat. She muttered, slamming her hands on the steering wheel. A loud thunk drew her eyes to the rear-view mirror. An iron chain was stuck to the roof of the car. It was adorned with patches of rust and verdigris. Age clung to it like a vengeful acidic curse. What the? Parul said. 
Even as she examined the odd artifact pinned to the roof of the car, another steel chain comprised of similarly aged oval links slammed into the car's rooftop. Parul screamed in surprise as five other chains turned the back seat into a steel nest. Parul's heart raced. She pressed down on the accelerator in fear. This is not real. This is not real, she murmured. She could see the gates of the house now. She gunned for it. Everything would be okay once she got home. The inside of the car was awash with the scent of piss and shit. This thing in the back seat, it is not real. No, 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 no. No, it, it it's all in my head. Parul tried to convince herself. She was wrong. Four hands sprang up from behind her and latched onto her neck. Their pallid skin was covered in yellow pustules and blue veins squirmed on its surface like worms. Parul drove into the front porch screaming before slamming on the brakes. She pinched her eyes shut as she lurched forwards, nearly smashing her face on the steering wheel. She could not sense the crushing grip around her neck anymore. There was no sound other than the sound of the idling engine. She reluctantly opened her eyes and checked the rearview mirror. The webbing of chains had disappeared. A hand slammed onto the glass on the driver's side. startling parul and eliciting a frightened scream from her wide open mouth the face of a woman she did not recognize came into view she was overweight and her skin was dotted with numerous moles and dried patches of eczema she had dark rings round her eyes a swathe of gray crossed the front of her otherwise jet black hair Parul was breathing heavily as she rolled down the window. Who who are you? Parul asked. Sorry to scare you like that, Sujatha said. I am your neighbor and I have something to tell you about this house. No sooner had Sujatha finished uttering those words, Neha's panicked screams rang from inside the house. Before Parul and Sujatha could enter the house to check on the children's welfare, the door swung open and Ekta and Neha bolted into the arms of their mother. Through tears and sobs, Neha and Ekta recounted 
what had happened in the second-story bedroom. However, Ekta did not share her personal encounter with the divine deity guarding the barrier world. The family did not care that a stranger in the form of Sujatha was observing them as they hugged and cried and came together to acknowledge that they were in crisis mode. I am sorry I didn't believe you children, Parul said tearfully. After the things I have seen today, she let her words trail off into a series of sobs. I am a terrible mother, Parul said before peppering her cheeks with short stinging slaps. Stop it, mother, Ekta said as she grabbed onto Parul's hands. It is not your fault, Sujada intervened for the first time, wiping away her own tears. She was deeply moved by the love in this family and even more relieved that she had made the choice to come forward with her story. It is not your fault. It is this place, Sujatha said, looking up at the ominous form of the dwelling. What is it that you want to tell us? Parul said. A cold tendril of fear seeped into Sujatha's chest and latched onto her thudding heart. She felt a tight knot in her tummy as she mentally prepared herself to narrate the sordid tale of the people who owned the house. The children told me that you came here once before. What is it that you came to warn us of? Parul urged her. Sujatha felt her mouth go dry as her body fought her intent to recount the legend of the haunted house in Damvila's society. Ekta stepped forward and touched the lady's shoulder. I should have let you explain yourself the first time you visited my sister and I. Tell us so that we can rid ourselves of this haunting. Sujada wiped off the sweat beading her lips and forehead and began. This house belonged to my mother's cousin, Kishorlal. He was the eldest of three boys and much older than them. His younger siblings were twins and they were intellectually disabled. They needed care 24-7, feeding, bathing. They wore diapers even in their thirties. Kishore hated his brothers and found them to be a financial and emotional burden. But their mother Shanta was a saint. She looked after the disabled twins like babies. Kishore had inherited his father's successful textile retail business when he passed away. But he failed at preserving his father's legacy. The losses mounted and creditors were knocking on the door. Then Shanta passed away, leaving the twins in his care. Kishore was unable to fully pay off his debts using the life insurance payouts for both his parents. He was also unable to access the money in the trust that was managed by their family lawyer because it was assigned for the care of the siblings. 
Kishore was under great pressure. The earth was falling from underneath his feet. He couldn't even employ a carer to look after the twins, who were at this stage around 35 years old. He started drinking excessively and picking fights with strangers in the town centre. One day, the two siblings went missing. They walked out through the front gate and were never found again. Kishorlal made a big show of searching for them everywhere, but never reported the incident to the police. Most members of my family believed that Kishore had something to do with the disappearance. Not long after the twins vanished, he accessed the money left in the trust with the family lawyer and started a gold showroom. The business took off. Goddess Lakshmi favoured him again. He got married to a very young woman and had a son. But about ten years ago, his wife took the child and left him. She apparently told my mother that Kishore was cursed and that she had seen some messed up things in the house that could not be explained rationally. You might want to cover Neha's ears before I continue, Sujatha said. Parul, who was listening in horrified fascination, nodded and covered Neha's ears with her palms, ignoring the little one's protests. Sujatha continued. Two weeks after they left, Kishorlal was killed brutally in what the police claimed was a violent home invasion. His body was found badly mutilated in his bed. I overheard my parents talking on the day of the funeral. They were discussing how the doctor who performed the post-mortem suggested that whoever committed violence on Kishore was trying to slice his body into two halves. In the doctor's professional opinion, at least two perpetrators were trying to rip him apart. Kishore's wife and child sold the house to a real estate broker and moved to a neighbouring town. No one has seen or heard from them since. In the last decade, several families have moved in and out of that hellhole. Their stays barely lasted for a few months. With each family that arrived, the severity of the incidents escalated. At first, it was floating objects and strange noises. Then, the entities within became increasingly violent. The last family who stayed here lost a child, an eight-year-old girl. Sujatha wept for a few seconds before composing herself and saying, The last known victim was a thief who picked the wrong house to break into only a month before you moved in. Why didn't anyone tell us about this? Parul said angrily, her face a mask of anguish as she tried to make sense of the horrifying legend of the house. The greedy real estate broker should have knocked this place down years ago. But, Sujatha said reflectively, Do you think the spirit of the twins 
haunt this place? Ekta asked. Our family tried to look for them and even reported the matter to the police after Kishore died. The officials examined every inch of the house and issued a missing persons notice. But, Sujatha said, shaking her head, I am certain that cruel bastard did something to those innocent souls to gain access to the money in the trust. I cannot believe my children and I were led to this home like lambs to their slaughter, Parul said. I should have warned you the day you arrived. I should have warned every other family who moved in. It is a sinful stain on my soul, Sujatha said, casting her eyes to the floor. Shame writ large on her face. You have spoken up now and perhaps saved my family's life, Ekta said gratefully. You cannot stay here anymore, Sujatha said. What are we going to do now? Where are we going to go? Parul said worriedly. Come, stay with me till you find somewhere else to live. There is plenty of space in my home. Sujatha said. A look of pride crossed Parul's face and for a while Sujatha thought she was going to refuse the offer. But then the truth of their dire financial situation dawned on the single mother of two. Parul nodded thankfully at Sujatha. I will do my best to protect you, Sujatha said. No sooner had she said this, a cacophony of sounds composed of haughty laughs and the banging of doors and windows erupted from the house. The women and children screamed and ran towards the gate. They huddled outside the metal barrier and glanced back at the house. An unnatural wind picked up and howled around the haunted residence. An eerie blue light shone out of the windows and their frames opened and closed involuntarily, creating a most distressing racket. Doors trembled in their frames and a rumbling sound emerged from the belly of the home. Fell beasts from some unearthly dimension bayed mournfully as arrogant peals of laughter rang out of the building. The witnesses to this horrid raucousness trembled and whimpered. Neha cried and hid behind her mother. Sujatha and Parul watched on in horrified fascination. Ekta folded her hands in prayer and reached out to the pure soul in the barrier world. Her mouth repeatedly formed a single word. Help. 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 The tantric who had achieved a state of meditative bliss and had managed to sustain it for hours 
even amongst the constant ringing of the shrine bells, flinched for the very first time. He was seated on a rock located behind the shrine dedicated to the Thramurthis, which in turn was located in a vast underground cavern. Sunlight filtering through the foliage shone in from the mouth of the large cave. It was complemented by a thousand lamps which created patterns of light and shadows on sculptures and murals that depicted generations of tantrics battling demonic forces forcing their way out of the pits of Naraka. The tantric flinched again as the calm ocean of his mind turned stormy in a flash. The malice-tinged braying of ocean predators with spiny teeth and spike-studded tentacles blended with the howling wind. A maleficent blue glow breached the roiling surface of the water and shone brightly for minutes before disappearing. In its wake, the ocean's white foamy surface was replaced by crimson spuds of gore and grizzle. The flames burning up the cloth wicks in the oil-filled clay lamps around the ashram wavered restlessly. A freezing cold breeze uncharacteristic of a summer afternoon, blew in through the entrance of the cave and chilled the environment temporarily. The tantric muttered something under his breath as his body twitched in discomfort. Another tantric, who was performing an abhishek at the shrine, was drawn to the distracted utterances of his colleague. He placed the silver vessel containing turmeric milk on the steps of the Sanctum Sanctorum and approached the distressed sadhu. What is it, Druman? said the elderly tantric. Druman Baba opened his eyes and fixed it on the senior. A disturbance? A warning? the older monk inquired. Something terrible has been unleashed onto this plane of reality, Druman Baba said. From this forest, the old tantric inquired. Druman Baba nodded. Yes, I will be called upon to do my duty in a matter of days. Someone will come looking for me. And they better hurry, because they are running out of time, he said. Once the supernatural display had died down, it took Sujata, Parul and the children nearly an hour to gather the courage to enter the House of Horrors. They collected fallen wooden branches from the garden to defend themselves. Their fear-addled minds failed to consider the efficacy of a dried stick against supernatural entities. They went from room to room, collecting their most important belongings. The smallest of sounds made them jump as they hurriedly packed 
clothes and other belongings into suitcases. Finally, the group assembled in front of the cabinet display in the living room, which housed family photos. Neha grabbed every photo featuring her mother and her sister, but avoided ones that featured her father. Noticing this, Ekta inquired, Did you not want any photos of father? We don't know when we will be able to return to collect all of our belongings. Even though Sujatha had offered them temporary accommodation, Padul knew their future was up in the air. They would lose weeks' worth of rent and the bond, both of which they had paid in advance for breaking the lease. But she valued the lives of her children over anything else. She would slave away till her back broke if it meant her children could afford a good life. She wouldn't let whatever evil entity dwelled in the walls of this house to touch a hair on her children's body. You don't have to take the photo if you don't want to, Parul finally said. I don't need him anymore. He wasn't here to save me when I was in trouble. Only Ekta Didi came for me, Neha said. Let's go, Sujatha said, her eyes darting fearfully, her body tense as if she was expecting the spirits to unleash violence on them at any given moment. Yes, let's move. Parul encouraged her children. While fear still suffocated Parul as she stepped out of the house, she also felt a pang of regret about not being able to make their stay work. Her ex-husband would delight in the knowledge that they couldn't last in a rental property for a few weeks. He would gladly chalk it up to her incompetence and never let them forget about it for the rest of their lives. But hearing Neha denounce her father filled Parul with the strength to put one foot in front of the other. Her children believed in her and it was time for her to live up to their expectations. Only their judgment mattered. It was only a short walk to Sujatha's home a single-storied whitewashed building which had a narrow front yard. The house proper was spacious and featured a lot of teak furniture and Hellenic pillars. Unlike the strip of land up front, the huge backyard was carpeted with vegetable gardens and a large pond teeming with ornamental fish. I know it is an odd-looking house, Sujatha said as she took the family on a tour of her home. My father was crazy about architecture and he incorporated all sorts of influences into the design. Your parents? Parul asked. They both died of cancer, Sujatha said sadly. There was a photo of a handsome middle-aged man and a small boy atop the television. I hope your husband and son don't mind. Parul began saying. They both died in an accident, Sujatha said. She started scratching her left arm vigorously. She opened the large French doors at the rear of the house that offered access to the garden and the fish pond. Ever since the disappearance of the twins, there has been a curse on our family. Death and disease has visited all of our homes and taken everything we loved dearly. Sujatha said, gazing at the verdant plot. This offers me solace, she said, pointing at the bountiful vegetation 
dripping water droplets and golden flashes of the fish in the pond. Parul and her children took in the sight uncomfortably as Sujatha's loud scratching offered a background score to their uncertain future. Vidhu, the local bully, was cycling past the haunted house when he heard a mocking laughter from behind the half-open front door. <laughs> His two minions were not riding with him today. Their parents had gotten a whiff of Vidhu's negative influence on them. They had banned their sons from hanging out with the local lout. Vidhu was depressed. An alcoholic father and an absent mother had made his home life hell. And the only source of joy in his life was the mischievous antics he engaged in with his gang. Now, that lone pleasure had been cruelly snatched from him. The anger at his current situation flared up in his soul as the taunting voice of a little girl called out to him from the house. What is that on the right side of your forehead? A ball? The child's voice said. <laughs> Vidhu braked hard and brought the bike to an instant stop. He ran a hand across the tumorous growth on his forehead. But everyone thinks you are ugly. The voice said. There was no mistaking it. It was the little girl teasing him. What was her name again? Neha. Vidhu dropped his bike and stormed towards the gate. He banged against it, causing the metal structure to rattle in its hinges. My sister and mother are not here. But I don't care. I have seen what a coward you are. I have seen how you were shaking in your boots when Didi and mother scolded you the other day. Coward, the voice said. <laughs> the memory of the incident made Vidhu's blood boil. Oh yeah? If you're so brave, why are you talking to me from behind a half-open door? Vidhu said. Na 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 na, you have an ugly face, the child said. Vidhu heard the sounds of fleeting footsteps. The disappointment of losing his gang members and the eternal flames of hate he nurtured in his heart for a god who had condemned him to a life with uncaring parents created a surge of anger that erupted like a volcano. Vidhu rushed into the house with the intention of punishing the wayward child. The fact that the mother and sister were not home bolstered his resolve to teach the little brat a lesson. He stalked through the kitchen and the living room like a hungry predator. Neha's mocking laughter rang through the house and clawed at his insides. <laughs> After a frenzied search of the ground floor, which saw him explore numerous hiding places, he finally arrived in front of the half-open basement door. The laughter seemed to be coming from within, but his attention was drawn to the shifting shapes that emerged from the door, like the threatening fins of sharks prowling the surface of the sea. 
The shapes impossibly bulged out of the door, and it took him only moments to realize that they were a facsimile of the shameful growth on his forehead. All the insults and the bullying he endured on account of the tumor flooded his memory. Ballface, Elephant Man, Leper. The insults and the laughter that invariably followed them pounded against his eardrums. Bidu roared in anger and willed away the encroaching sense of despair. He couldn't explain what was happening with the door. It had to be a wretched contraption deployed by the creeps who dwelled here. He would begin by teaching the little girl a lesson. Then he would tear down this door with an axe. He would make a bonfire with its ruins and burn his sorrows in its corrective flames. Unfortunately for Vidhu, he didn't get the chance to take the first step towards his mission. Four strong hands grabbed his ankles from behind and pulled at his legs with such force and speed that he fell forwards and smashed his nose into the floor before he could bring his hands up to break the fall. <coughs> Hot agony seared through his head as he tried to make sense of what had just happened to him. Blood poured out of his damaged nostrils as he was dragged across the floor. He turned briefly to glance at his attackers, but all he could glimpse were four pairs of pasty white, blue-veined hands that seemed to be floating in the air. It tugged at him with venomous ferocity and dragged him up the stairs. His face and crushed nose banged against each step as he was transported to the top floor. Pain razored through his body as bones cracked and dislocated. He offered gurgling cries as his body was ragdolled up the staircase. When they reached the upper story, the incorporeal hands swung his head from wall to wall, parting the already compromised skull plates and smearing the walls with his grey matter and webbed patterns of his lifeblood. Vidhu squealed in pain as he tried to make sense of the punishment his body was enduring. Maybe the others hated him for a reason. Maybe this was the divine punishment they all spoke of when they opened their mouths to curse him. His thoughts were cut short by the demonic entities who lifted him up and smashed him against the floor repeatedly like a doormat being thrashed to expel dust.
in a matter of seconds. His face was a gory painting composed of bulging eyes, gaping cuts and exposed bones. With whose brain finally gave up as his body was dragged into a room that was meant to be permanently locked, one of the spaces that Parul did not have the keys for. Once with whose tortured and dead form was securely placed in the room, the door closed with a loud bang. An invisible pair of inhumanly lengthy tongues licked the gore and the blood clean from the walls and the floor. Its thirsty consumption of the bodily fluids started from the first floor, progressed down the staircase and continued all the way to the basement door. The little girl in the basement laughed as the violent spirits belched in satisfaction. This was their third feast in the house. They were beginning to love the taste of blood. They knew there would be more occasions to taste its warmth. It didn't matter that those who had been tainted by the curse of the house had left its confines. The curse travelled with them. The feast would soon arrive at their place of refuge. Thanks for listening to Indian Noir. Click the follow button on your Spotify app or Spotify desktop software. You can also take a sneak peek at how the show is produced and my life and my interests via my social media channels. I am at Indian Noir on Instagram and Twitter. The next day, Sujata left the house a bit after nine, promising to find someone who might be able to help the family with the dangerous situation they found themselves in. She mentioned an ashram of tantrics located in the outskirts of the city near the Narakaranya forest. These practitioners of the dark arts had been highly recommended by friends and relatives. Parul bid her farewell and locked the main door. Sujata had opened up her entire home to her family. They were free to enjoy the facilities, the food and the entertainment that was on offer. Parul looked around the home and let out a sigh of relief. She felt safe here. Neha had developed a fever overnight no doubt from the trauma of the horrible encounter from the previous day. Usually, she would be awake at around seven, but today she had slept in. Ekta was on the couch, 
reading a magazine from Sujatha's amazing Reader's Digest stash. When Neha woke up, Parul cooked the children a breakfast of puri and dal. They then settled down to play board games. Parul and Ekta could tell that Neha was badly shaken. However, she possessed an innate resilience previously displayed during the acrimonious breakdown of their family life and the traumatic events of the past few weeks. That courage still burned brightly in her eyes. When the little one got bored with her elder sister winning all the time, they started rifling through Sujatha's vast collection of video cassettes before settling on the Home Alone series. The children lay on their mother's lap and watched the antics of the little boy single-handedly defending his home turf against a couple of thieves. Midway through the movie, Parul started nodding off, so she retired to her bedroom. Ekta soon followed suit, but she didn't manage to get off the couch. Ekta and Parul had clearly underestimated how physically and emotionally exhausted they were thanks to their recent supernatural ordeals. Neha played with her sleeping sister's hair as she continued giggling at the slapstick encounters in the movie. She sensed the memories of the ghostly encounter trying to intrude her thoughts. She tried to banish them by focusing on the hilarious traps the little boy had laid for the goons in the movie. Neha succeeded for a while, but soon her analytical mind took over. Maybe she could lay a trap for the evil beings that had tried to scare her. If Ekta could banish them with a shout, surely she could also face them with courage and counter their threat. The mental image of the fearsome apparition, tearing at the cupboard, trying to get to her, sent chills down her spine. She quickly reconsidered her desire to be as brave as the boy in the movie. She silently acknowledged that she was better off being sheltered by her mother and her sister. Neha returned her attention to the TV and silenced the fear-inducing thoughts. Her laughter filled the house with a joy it had not felt for a long time. After a while, Neha felt thirsty. Leaving her sleeping sister on the couch, she headed to the kitchen for a glass of water. Sujatha had modern kitchen appliances and expensive china in her shelves. Neha ogled at the beautifully printed plates and glasses, hoping that one day they too could have such fine things in their home. Currently, all their belongings looked tired and old. Neha opened the tap and filled a glass tumbler to the brim. She sipped the water slowly as she explored the kitchen and the rooms beyond. When she reached the large French doors with its see-through glass facade, she noticed her mother standing close to the pond. Parul was motionless as she stared at the surface of the water. Neha smiled at the sight of her mother. Parul had previously advised her not to enter the backyard without adult supervision, as the pond could be a treacherous trap for a little girl like her. 
She had never seen a backyard pond stocked with ornamental fish before. Given her mother was present, Neha was thrilled to finally get a chance to check out the pond. She liked aquariums. There was a large glass tank in her previous school with lots of fat goldfish sharing the real estate with mild-mannered guppies. She loved watching the colourful aquatic creatures swim in and out of plant clusters, dart through plastic toys of scuba divers and treasure chests, and laze over the bubble pillars streaming out of the oxygen pumps. Beaming with excitement, Neha ran towards her mother. She knew something was off as soon as she embraced her mother's still figure. The form issued the scent of a musty grave. It had the touch of a corpse abandoned to the whims of the elements. The true nature of the manifestation was revealed by the steady cracking of its desiccated bones. This was an illusion carved out of wild energies from unknown dimensions that hosted the dead. This was the shadow cast by some monstrous intent that blotted out the weak sun of that wretched hellscape. Neha released her hug and stepped back, all the while watching the figure twitching and jerking as it attempted to turn around. It laboriously squared up to Neha. Its face was a slab of meat carved up for display at the meat store. Four eyes rested on its gory canvas in random spots. Those lidless organs of sight were bloodshot and oozed blue pus. Neha screamed as the figure crumbled and dissipated into dust, like the disintegration of a mummified corpse. Before her shrieks could die down in her throat, long garden hoses that Sujata used to water the garden sprang up like angry snakes and wrapped around Neha's body. It constricted her like a hungry python and lifted her up in the air. The animated pipes squeezed the breath out of her lungs as it carried her towards the pond. The tangle of rubber tubes held her up above the surface of the pond and paused to relish the moments before she was thrust into its murky depths. Neha's screams grew weak as she cast her eyes on the surface of her watery grave. She saw the horrendous reflection of the murderous entities on its glimmering exterior. Two older men joined at the hips, their bodies ridden with sores and covered in mangy fur, their eyes gleaming with hatred. 
Neha choked and spluttered as her captors brought her down to the water's surface, where golden fish jostled in anticipation of a feed amongst the lily pads and other forms of aquatic plant life. However, before she could be submerged in her watery grave, Ikta and Parul appeared from nowhere to rescue her from a deadly fate. Ikta held a large kitchen knife, which she promptly used to sever the tangle of hose. Parul reached out to Neha, hoping to grab her before she fell into the water. Ikta's powerful strikes sliced the tubes and drained the reservoir of evil energy that powered their fear-inducing animation. They flopped down to the ground as if life had fled from their rubbery innards. Neha fell into the arms of her mother, unconscious. Although their instincts were to immediately check on Neha's welfare, for a brief second, Ekta and Parul were frozen to the spot as they sighted the monstrous reflection of the twins on the water. The conjoined forms beamed malice. A slit opened up in their belly, exposing a most horrendous sight. A bowl of worms feeding on the severed heads of Neha, Ekta and Parul. The warning served to their prospective victims. The malevolent figures melted into the blackness of the pool, leaving the distraught family in a state of stupefaction. The subterranean ashram of the Tantrics echoed with the screams of a tortured soul. The middle-aged woman with disheveled hair and sweaty pale skin roared angrily, shattering the serenity of the spiritual abode. She writhed as her family members held on to both her arms and made her face the stunted tree trunk which stood at six feet. It was devoid of branches and leaves and its bark was covered in red kumkum, Sanskrit mantras and embedded iron nails. They brought her closer to a nail which had been partially hammered into the trunk. Druman Baba, who was dressed in a red shawl and dhoti, approached the woman and placed a tika on her forehead. The object of his attention spat on him and squealed in agony, as if the sacred mark was burning up her skin. This holy vessel is not your abode, demon. Leave! Leave! Druman Baba chanted furiously as he threw sacred ash on the possessed victim. The woman's face contorted into shapes no human could conjure as her eyes turned ruby red. You will be mine soon enough, priest. I will claim your soul effortlessly. You will submit to the will of Naraka and fall into its putrid depths 
on your own accord. It is preordained, Sanyasi. You are destined to live and suffer deathless eons in the pits of Kalakshetra. The abominable voice emerging from the woman's corrupt vocal cords stated. Druman Baba ignored her rantings and continued muttering incantations. Why delay the inevitable? Come, come now. I will take you to the infernal palace of bones and screams. The woman roared before shaking so violently her three male relatives nearly lost their grip on her. Now, Druman Baba said, an elderly tantric handed a lit golden arati lamp to Druman Baba. It was molded into the shape of a cobra with a flaming mouth. On the head of its threatening hood was a circular holder that housed a flaming slab of camphor. Druman Baba pointed the lamp at the tree and blew powerfully into the flame, causing it to leap out and slam into the half-inserted nail. Druman Baba handed the lamp back to his assistant and returned his attention to the suffering woman. You have no power over me, lesser demon. Maybe someday your vile brethren might claim my soul. But my brothers and sisters and I don't live in fear, nor do we cower to such threats of reprisals. We live to cast your lot out of this world, back into the wretched death hives you came from. Druman Baba signaled the relatives with a nod, and they pressed the woman's forehead against the nail. Some of them shed tears for their suffering family member. Druman Baba closed his eyes, placed a bunched-up fist on his chest, and chanted a mantra appeasing the Trimurthis. His clenched fist glowed briefly just before he placed it on the woman's head. As soon as his palm contacted the greasy crown of her head, a bolt of energy travelled from the top of her head to her feet, transforming her into a juddering flesh puppet. An evil baying tone emerged from her throat as she escaped the clutches of her relatives and started banging her head against the nail. She slammed into it with her forehead, repeatedly, forcing the length of the nail into the wood. The other tantrics, assisting with the ceremony, chanted loudly and the shrine bells rang urgently, adding strength to the words of power uttered by Druman Baba. The woman continued pounding the nail till it was snugly lodged in the tree trunk. Then she collapsed into the arms of her waiting relatives. Black resin oozed out of the spot where the nail was lodged. Druman asked for the serpentine lamp again and blew the flames into the gelatinous fluid, setting it alight. A squealing sound emerged from the tree as the unwholesome fluid sizzled and bubbled away into acrid smoke. Take her to the shrine, Druman Baba instructed the relatives. When she wakes up, she will not remember a thing. My colleagues will attend to her wounds. They bowed respectfully 
before lifting the unconscious woman and trudging towards the shrine, where other tantrics waited to offer comfort. Baba, someone is here to see you, a young tantric announced from behind Druman. Druman Baba, who was drinking milk laced with herbal concoctions from a golden pitcher, turned around and saw Sujata standing in front of him with folded hands. The tantric, who had escorted her, bowed his head and retreated into the shadows of the cavern. Helps wash away the taint generated by the ceremony, Dhruman Baba said to Sujata, while indicating to the pitcher, You should have some too, if you witnessed the expulsion of the demon. Baba, I am, Sujata began saying. Dhruman Baba raised a hand. I know why you are here. I will come with you. He said to a surprised Sujatha, We must make haste. Somewhere on the roof of the cave, bats chittered restlessly as Dhruman Baba guided Sujatha towards the entrance. Ekta closed the bathroom door and cried silently. Outside, Padul was attempting to console Neha in vain. She watched herself in the mirror. Tears streamed down her sullen face and anxiety had coloured her eye sockets grey. The family's precarious financial condition, a depressed mother and a younger sister who needed to be shielded from life's harsh realities had left Ekta burdened and broken. As the eldest child, she was expected to be a strong wall for her mother to lean into. She was meant to shoulder the burdens fate piled on them every day. It was as if everyone had forgotten that she was a child. Why must she bear the cross for everyone? Why must she fight the ceaseless battles eating away at her family's safety and sanity? Why did her mother consider her capable of such feats of resilience? What was so special about her? The guardian in the barrier world thought as much. Why must she be a soldier in the war against darkness? Ekta let out a silent scream, her splayed fingers pressing into her cheeks. The sound of Sujata's vehicle cut short her self-examination. Their gracious host was back from her visit to the Tantric Ashram. A quantum of solace fell on her like cooling rain on a suffocatingly hot summer afternoon. She checked out her forlorn figure one last time in the mirror before stepping out to meet Sujata at the front door. While Dhruman Baba's visions had hinted at the challenges ahead of him, his knowledge was bolstered by Sujatha's briefing during their two-hour car journey. 
Sujatha used the drive to elaborate on the supernatural history of the haunted house and the bloody toll it had taken on its residents. He was aghast at the tales of violence and terror recounted by Sujatha. The warnings he encountered during recent meditation sessions were certainly warranted given Sujatha's account of the haunting and the sorrowful instance of the child's death. Sujatha brought her car to a halt when she reached the entrance to her home. She was about to step out of the car to open the front gate when she noticed a pack of stray dogs through the windshield. The five canines stood in a line, bearing their saliva-laden teeth and growling furiously. Their eyes were unnaturally wide and oozed green pus from their tear ducts. Flies crawled along their mangy fur and fed off weeping sores that dotted their torso. We keep telling the corporation to get rid of these street dogs, but they don't listen. They're such a menace. Last year, a pack attacked an elderly woman who lives two houses from here and put her in the hospital, Sujatha said. Guttural threats streamed into the car, leaving Sujatha paralyzed with fear. Dhruman Baba observed the lineup of menacing creatures intensely for several minutes before pulling a prayer bead tucked into the side of his dhoti and stepping out of the car. Baba, they might, Sujata began saying. Dhruman Baba walked towards the front of the car and squared up to the frothing beasts. I see you, servants of darkness. You have no power over me. I do not fear you, he said. Dhruman Baba thumbed through the prayer beads in a clockwise direction while chanting mantras. The dogs unleashed a furious cacophony of barks and growls in response. They inched forwards, snapping their jaws and threatening Baba with the sight of their filthy and deadly maws. Begone, begone, he said, shoving the prayer beads into their faces. The dogs abandoned their evil mission. Their starving forms let go of the pent-up aggression and they yelped in discontent. Begone, Druman Baba shouted. The pack flinched in unison and then turned and ran with their tails between their legs. Sujatha who had just stepped out of the car, remarked, That was quite something, Baba. The servants of the evil forces at work here are watching us. This speaks to a malign influence that can escape the confines of the home and confront its prey. The danger posed by this situation is worse than what I imagined it would be. We must be cautious, Baba said in a concerned tone.
after being introduced to Padul and the children and gathering salient information from them about their experiences in the haunted house, Dhruman Baba expressed his wish to visit the notorious site. Baba joined Sujatha and the family in a procession towards the gates of the cursed abode. Ekta caught his eyes several times during his interview at Sujatha's home and presently as they walked towards their destination. There was a nascent power in the child that piqued his curiosity. Could she be psychically sensitive? He wondered. Ikta turned towards him and fixed him with a smile. It was as if she had latched on to his thoughts. It was too early to say, but Dhruman Baba had a very strong feeling that the eldest daughter was blossoming into a powerful psychic. When they reached the gates, Dhruman Baba turned to address the entourage. I will go in by myself. You are to wait here and chant the following mantra. Dhruman Baba pulled out a small scroll made from palm leaves from his pouch and unrolled it. He then handed it to Sujatha. Chant it till I return. It is a prayer to the domain of light from the Atharva Veda. Enunciate clearly. Chant in unison. Pray for my safety, he said. Dhruman Baba opened the gate and entered the maligned grounds. He turned around one last time and said, You are not to enter the house under any circumstances. Heed my words or pay the ultimate price. the house would have appeared still as any other ordinary home to a normal human being. But to a tantric senses, the place throbbed with malevolent energies, which manifested as streaks of purple and grey that blinked in and out of existence. The walls thrummed with restless power and the floors rippled with ill intentions. Dhruman Baba toured every room in the ground floor before reaching the entrance to the basement, which he had identified as the most psychically active location. He enunciated words of power to create a protective barrier for his soul and body before opening the door. He flicked on the light and climbed down the staircase to reach a featureless, empty and grey room. He moved to the centre of the basement and turned a full circle, examining every inch of the space. None of the indicators of psychic activity which manifested in the other rooms were present here. The basement was the heart of a dead star that barely contained a supernatural volcano. 
It was a canvas of repressed rage and home to the echoes of unimaginable acts of cruelty. Baba extracted a copper dowsing rod from his cloth sack and extended it forwards. The divination tool was a thick piece of cylinder adorned with protective wards attached to the end of a thin rod. It belonged to a friend of his, an accomplice in his adventures as a young tantric. The sight of the device sent a wave of sadness crashing through Thruman. Adi, my friend, you are not forgotten. Your tool is being put to great use. At thirty years of age, the memories of his years as an apprentice and later as a lead practitioner of the dark arts were still strong in his mind. Durman Baba scanned the room with the dowsing rod. It was still for several moments, but when the cylinder faced a certain section of the wall, it swung wildly like a leaf in a storm. Baba placed the device back in his cloth sack and approached the wall. He could sense something shifting within, like the silhouetted glimpse of a predator prowling just beneath the surface of a still ocean. He chanted a mantra to urge his third eye to open wide, and when he felt a warm glow on his forehead, he placed his hand on the wall. A vortex of roiling clouds replaced the sparse grey surface. Wind roared out from the psychic tunnel as it tugged at Baba's physical form, almost sucking him into its dark innards. Dhruman Baba steadied his mind with mantras of protection and invited the supernatural conduit into his mind. The wind that roared in front of him soon found a home inside his skull. It filled his ears with the clamouring soundscape of a human settlement being decimated by a hurricane. Then there was silence. Baba was standing in an empire of nullity. The inky black floor, barely lit by some unknown source of azure light, stretched for miles in all directions into shadows that seemed to eschew the very existence of matter, living or dead. Baba found this sense of nothingness oppressive. He drew a ward of knowledge in the air. Nothing happened for several moments, but then wisps of silvery fumes emerged from a spot on the floor to his right. He turned his attention to the phenomenon. The smoke trails thickened and scaled exponentially. 
it crafted a representation of the basement where Druman Baba's physical form existed. It was like a movie conjured from motes of glowing light suspended in the air. Here, Baba witnessed the plight of two men in their thirties. Naked, filthy, unshaven, pitiful and unloved creatures. An older man with a thick beard walked down the staircase to the basement and threw a plate of half-cooked rice on the floor. It clattered and skidded across the floor before slamming into two weak shapes that rested on the filthy surface of the basement. It, you are not going to be fed for a few days. I will be out travelling, he said. He spat on the floor at the sight of the two men rising up from a mattress covered in feces and urine. Wretched corpses, the man said before going back up the stairs and slamming the door shut. The vision flickered vigorously and erased the previous scene. Now it showed the two hungry men begging for food in the dark confines of the basement. It showed them dragging their bodies up the staircase before slamming weakly against the locked door. No one responded. Their incomprehensible entreaties echoed through the empty home. The image wavered again. Druman Baba let out a small cry of fear and his eyes widened as the scene turned gruesome. The twins butchered each other's flesh to quell their hunger. Dirty long nails gouged infected skin and dug into eye sockets. Eyeballs were scooped up and slurped greedily. Tongues were ripped out and throats were bit into with rotting teeth. Cocks were chewed off and cheeks were ripped clean from bleeding jaws. The two men fed on each other in a violent frenzy, blind and covered in horrific injuries, till the blood loss stopped their beating hearts. A scream built up in Druman Baba's throat, but it did not find release. The vision now showed the cruel, bearded man discovering the bodies. It showed him destroying a section of the basement wall and placing the remains of the dead siblings into the gap. It showed the man repairing the section of the wall, leaving the bodies entombed in their concrete coffin. The vision flickered again and showed a woman and a child quarreling with him before leaving the home with packed suitcases. Druman Baba shook his head and tried to control his panicked breathing. It was as if his body was preparing him for what was coming next. 
The vision switched locations. The man who had committed the horrific crime and lost the loves of his life cried in despair as he lay on his opulent bed. Suddenly, his fearful eyes fell on two dark featureless shapes that burst through the door. They fell on him like vicious wild animals and tore open his cheeks before wrenching his jaws apart. They ploughed crimson furrows into his body and broke his bones and wrenched them loose from their joints. Bone barriers were cracked open and organs were yanked out from their resting place. When they were done ravaging his physical form, they extracted his glowing soul from his pineal gland by consuming his brain and his spinal cord. They arranged his skin in ribbons, and his entrails were hung on the walls and on the bedhead like morbid party decorations. His genitals and eyes were stuffed into his throat. His limbs, which were broken and positioned at odd angles, were arranged along with the rest of his ravaged body to create a cubist nightmare conceived by demonic artists. Unable to cope with the horrors unleashed on his mind, Druman Baba reeled and nearly collapsed to the floor. The supernatural recreation of past events skewed and morphed into incoherent shapes before disappearing completely. The horrifying nature of what he had witnessed made Baba violently sick. He bent at the waist and vomited bile onto the featureless obsidian floor. Hey, Bhagwan, Hey, Bhagwan, he said, composing himself. He could not afford to be caught up in the emotion of the events in this psychic construct. It would compromise his safety in this domain. It was possible that his momentary weakness had already alerted the insidious beings that reigned in this void. Everything he had seen so far fit Sujata's theories about Kishorlal and his role in the disappearance of his siblings. What happened to the missing souls was truly horrible. But they had already extracted cold revenge in the form of Kishorlal's bloody murder. If so, what was their reason for continuing to terrorize the living from beyond the veil of reality? Baba didn't get too much time to dwell on the reasons for this aberrant haunting. He heard the sounds of a forest behind him. When he turned to the source of the sounds of nature, he was greeted by the sight of Narakaranya forest at dawn. A crimson horizon towered over the lush foliage that teemed with life. Two shadowed figures stood some five meters in front of him, keenly observing a grove, where a woman and a boy played chase the robber.
it looked like Kishorlal's wife and child from the vision. The forms of the twin apparitions radiated an all-consuming rage that made Dhruman Baba sick in the belly. The intentions they bore for the mother and her child reeked of blind hatred. To his surprise, the figures spun around without warning and locked their luminescent white eyes on him. As Dhruman Baba uttered mantras praising Lord Vishnu, the silhouetted human shapes rushed at him. Their blurry, silent profiles closed the distance between them in the blink of an eye. The two spirits merged into one, and for the first time, Dhruman Baba could make out the features of the monstrous entities that dwelled in Narakarinya and used the house as a playground for their acts of carnage. <laughs> Two heads with leering faces rested on a unified torso covered in matted fur and roomy sores. Worms swarmed the gangrenous gouges on their skin like armies pillaging villages that had surrendered to their martial prowess. There was no mistaking their identity, the twins from the visions he had just had. Their filthy and wrathful forms filled Baba with a terror he had not experienced before. His heart threatened to escape the confines of his ribcage as the spiteful beings latched onto him. Ignoring Baba's screams of terror, they dragged him into the dark heart of the forest. It was Sujatha who first noticed that Ekta had stopped chanting the mantra as they stood outside the gates of the haunted house, trying to follow Baba's instructions to the dot. What happened? Sujatha inquired. Something has gone wrong, Ekta said, wide-eyed and breathing heavily. What? Sujatha asked. I must go now, Ekta said before swinging open the gates and bolting into the home that held terrible memories for her and her family. Dhruman Baba felt the grip of the twin monstrosities searing the skin on his forearm. The hot touch of their cursed fingers burned a black band onto his arms. As they dragged him into the forest, Dhruman Baba mouthed powerful mantras to escape captivity. However, he was physically weakened and therefore unable to employ his full psychic potential to ensure their efficacy. He dug his feet into the forest floor only to watch them create furrows in the bed of dried leaves as he was dragged into a landscape of shadows cast by monstrous trees. The evil spirits laughed with their heads thrown back in ecstasy. 
Dhruman Baba hazarded a glance back at the grove and saw that a new child had joined Kishorlal's family's game of hide and seek. The grotesque denizens of Narakarinya roared with laughter as they continued escorting their prey towards some unknown place of punishment. A blue flash of light interrupted their progress and the subsequent explosion threw the malformed twins against a wall of trees. They reeled from the psychic effect of the surprise attack. It took them a while to recover from the toll it had taken on their dark forms. When the twin abominations got to their feet, Dhruman Baba was nowhere to be seen. The 30-year-old Dhruman Baba, who had walked into the haunted house, came out looking like he had aged 10 years. He was leaning on Ekta and moving like he had just learned how to take his first steps. Parul, Sujata and Neha rushed forwards to support his weakened form. They had to prop him on their shoulders to ensure he didn't collapse. What happened? Parul asked Ekta. That is the story for another time, Ekta said guiltily. Dhruman Baba, who was panting like a tired dog, lifted his gaze towards Sujata and said, Before, in the house, did you, did you mention that you contacted Kishorlal's wife back in the day? That's right, one of my uncles did, Sujata said with a confused look. Why? We need to get to them, immediately, Baba said. But, Sujata began saying, Right now! Baba growled. I will get the details from my uncle, Sujatha said meekly. It took them nearly half an hour to get the address and another hour to drive across the town to the home where Kishorlal's wife and kid resided. All through the trip, Dhruman Baba stole glances at Ekta. The question implicit in those glances was, How did you extract me from the horrifying reality which would have ended up being my grave? During the drive, Baba refused to answer questions lobbed at him by Parul and Sujatha, telling them that he would brief them later that night. Even Neha, who had been quiet since her terrifying encounter in Sujatha's backyard, livened up at the possibility of gaining some clarity on whether her family would know peace in the coming days. There was only so much her little mind could take. They drove through the never-ending maze of white blocks festooned with clotheslines and jumbled power cables. Mahalakshmi Colony, like most lower-middle-class enclaves, was an ocean of scooters, street vendors and residents going about their business at all hours. Sujatha showed exceptional patience and driving skills in navigating the many obstacles that delayed their arrival at their destination. There was a palpable air of relief 
Once they reached the two-story home that featured a dirty facade, badly in need of a scrub and a fresh coat of paint. They exited the car and rang the bell, which was shaped like a beagle's head. A man in his 70s opened the door. He was clean-shaven and sported a thick pair of glasses. He wore a white vest and dhoti, both of which framed a malnourished body. The sight of the motley crew surprised the old man, who assessed them with an irritated look on his face. Are you Neeraj's father? Sujata asked. Yes, who are you? he asked in return. We are here to see Neeraja and her son. I was her neighbor when she lived with her husband in Rambilla society. Sujatha said. The man looked her up and down. Them, he said pointing to the others. Them too, Sujatha said. He quickly glanced at Dhruman Baba before turning to Sujatha. It's a bit late for a puja. The old man noticed Sujatha's perplexed look and gave her a wry smile. Come, I will show you, he said, inviting the group into the house. Come in, everyone. The furniture in the house was cheap and badly in need of maintenance. Cobwebs had conquered the corners of the ceiling and the paint on the walls was chipped in places. The man led them to a dining room where he pointed to a garlanded photograph on the wall featuring Neeraja and her son. Neeraja was a beautiful middle-aged woman in a Kanchivaram silk sari and her son was a cute ten-year-old. A coloured light bulb, shaped like a flame, flickered underneath the photo frame. Parul gasped. What happened to them? said a shocked Sujatha. The old man limped towards the back of the house and signalled them to come along. The group followed him hesitantly through a decrepit kitchen with a handful of utensils. The old man clearly wasn't doing much cooking or eating. He opened a wooden door and guided them to a small sand-filled backyard which featured a lone mango tree. Once his audience assembled underneath the tree, he said, Giving my daughter my blessings to marry that bastard Kishorlal is the greatest sin I committed in my life. Once things had gone south and she moved in here with me, I felt better, felt less anxious about her well-being. I was wrong. The issues that had caused her to leave her husband followed her home. The curse followed her home. Strange noises became a part and parcel of our daily lives. Nails dragging on walls, the footfalls of agitated runners, angry shouts that came from nowhere. They scared the living daylights out of us. But both my daughter and grandchild were subjected to far worse things I don't like to talk about, things I would rather forget. Their mental condition deteriorated. I suggested we sell this place and move elsewhere 
But Neeraj said, it wouldn't matter. There was no escaping the inevitable end. The old man's voice broke and his eyes welled up with tears. He took a moment to compose himself and then said, I woke up one morning <laughs> to find them both hanging from this tree. The man sat on his haunches and slammed his open palms against the sides of his face. He wailed like he would have at the funeral for the suicide victims. Draman Baba signaled to Parul and Sujatha to escort the man into the house. Make him some tea, won't you? he said. Parul and Sujatha nodded and helped the old man up to his feet. Ekta, you stay here. Baba said. Hearing this, Parul halted and looked at Ekta with concern. Are you okay to stay? Parul asked Ekta. Ekta nodded and pursed her lips. As the others disappeared into the house, Baba looked up at the tree and said, What do they want? What do they want? What do they want? What is it, Baba? Ekta said. Baba stopped muttering and turned to Ekta. You have seen him, haven't you? The holy being that guards the barrier world? Ekta nodded. He sees the potential in you? Dhruman Baba asked. He said, I can help. Ekta said hesitantly. You can. You showed it to me this morning. Dhruman Baba said with a smile. Ekta looked uncomfortable. The others, they have questions. I'm certain you have questions too. I will explain everything tonight when we get home. Meanwhile, I need your help. We must find out what is driving the evil spirits. What draws them back to the house and its residence. Find out how it can escape its confines and attack people who have visited the house. Without that key insight, we cannot drive them out of this plane of reality. How can I be of help? Ekta offered humbly. I will add your budding power to mine, and it will shield me as I journey back into the treacherous realm of... Ekta didn't let Baba complete the sentence. Narakaranya, she added. Baba nodded. Baba looked up at the tree and said, Perhaps this sight can provide us a bridge to the answers we are looking for. Ekta followed his gaze. For a second, Ekta thought she had glimpsed the two bodies hanging limp from the branches. Baba pulled out a box of white flour, blessed by the murthis in the ashram shrine, from his cloth sack. He crafted a simple yantra on the sand. He then added red kumkum to highlight key areas of the divine illustration. 
Baba urged Ekta to be seated in a Padmasana and extended his hand so he could place hers in it. Once they were physically connected to each other, Baba said, To conduct the ritual that will help us banish the evil forces plaguing your family, we need to possess something they dearly want. I thought Kishore Lal's wife and kid would. Baba halted mid-speech, overcome by emotion. Ekta shifted restlessly. Close your eyes, Baba said before uttering mantras to open the portal to Naragaranya. The howl of a gale-forced wind passed over them and soon they found themselves in that wretched forest. They had arrived in a part of Narakaranya where neither of them had been before. Their eyes opened up to a green meadow featuring a single fruiting tree that acted as a solitary point of interest. You can only journey to a part of the forest relevant to your purpose, Baba said to Ekta. Those are the rules of this plane of reality. Underneath the bountiful tree, sat a weeping man in torn and shredded clothes covered in dried blood stains his hands featured unnaturally long skeletal fingers with which he hid his sobbing visage who is that ekta asked i think i know who it is baba said come they both walked towards the man baba more confident in his gait than his young assistant When they reached the man they noticed that his body resembled a mummified corpse animated by the vile magics of Narakaranya You are Kishore Lal aren't you It was more a statement than a question from the tantric The man did not respond His sorrowful sniveling continued A rising wind brought along with it the sounds of a woman and child giggling and playing with each other is that your wife and child that i hear they are trapped here i know baba said kishore lal's spirit wailed at this assertion i can help them i can end your misery tell me what your tormentors desire baba said the man did not answer The laughter in the air died down. They rampage through this forest looking for you. Outside in the real world, they kill children. You made a serious mistake that has affected so many lives when you starved your siblings to death. This is your final chance at redemption. Help me help you. The spirit whose hands still covered its face stopped crying and froze as if whatever elemental magic had animated it had fled its skeletal cage ikta gave baba a concerned look look baba said his voice almost a whisper the man parted his hands slightly just enough to display a hollow mouth framed by dried up brown bands that were once human lips 
A tiny bottle containing clear fluid fell out of the orifice onto the miserable creature's lap. The creature brought its palms together again and resumed its mourning. Baba ventured forwards and picked up the bottle. This is the artifact that will help us tame the twins, Baba said. What is it? Ikta inquired. It is the spectral representation of Kishore Lal's guilt, Baba said. After their fruitful trip to Narakaranya, Dhruman Baba and Ekta returned to their physical form resting underneath the mango tree in Neeraj's backyard. Parul and Sujatha had just finished their chat with the old man over a cup of tea when the two interdimensional travellers entered the room. They thanked the old man for his assistance and departed. Neeraj's father looked at their moving car longingly before slipping back into the loneliness of his home. He was also a victim of the cruelty perpetrated by the vile spirits on the poor family. Sujatha was in the driver's seat while Baba sat next to her. Parul and family sat in the back. Dhruman Baba finally revealed the truths he had withheld from his clients. He told them about his act of transmigration to another realm which landed him in trouble. He described how Ekta had arrived at the basement and with a single touch rescued him. Parul and Sujatha expressed shock and confusion at the rudimentary explanation provided to them about Naragaranya. Baba purposefully kept the details basic because he knew that their sanity wouldn't cope with the secrets of that wretched dimension. Baba detailed the ritual that had guided him and Ekta to Kishore Lal's location and the outcome of that quest. He elaborated on the nascent psychic powers within Ekta and what she was capable of. It is the reason you and Neha are still alive, Baba said. Neha and Parul did not look surprised. After all, it was Ekta's intervention that saved the day when the monstrous entity cornered Neha in the cupboard and later tried to constrict the life out of her in Sujatha's backyard. Titi is a superhero, Neha said. I am not surprised that she is displaying some of the spiritual gifts possessed by my father, Parul said. She recounted her family history for Baba's benefit. I have heard of your family, Baba said with a smile. Baba, what are we dealing with here? Sujatha, who was driving, asked in a fear-tinged voice. What is so powerful that it can even encroach into my own home? Western paranormal experts call entities like this Poltergeists, heresies in our language.
They have the capacity to physically manipulate objects and people in this reality. However, this monstrous duality has acquired a taste for human blood. It is a Rakhtarishas. A rarity, a confluence of cruel acts and murderous outcomes has brought about the creation of this cursed creature. Even those who visit the house are marked by its taint and unwittingly open a pathway for it to journey to their own homes. How was it created? Sujata asked. I want you to cover Neha's ears. Baba said, turning around and facing Parul. When Parul had done so, Baba explained the sequence of events gifted to him through the visions. Hey Bhagwan, Parul exclaimed. Sujatha had to stop the car and compose herself. How can someone do this to their own siblings? Ikta said, glancing at Neha. We must perform a ritual tomorrow to remove the attachment the spirits have to the basement. I have a plan in mind, Baba said. But tonight we must rest and regain our strength. Sujatha and Parur, I want you to prep the puja room and lay on the floor, just outside of it. It is the only way to keep you and the children safe overnight. The ritual begins at daybreak tomorrow. Neha and Ekta approached Dhruman Baba, who was resting on the couch from where he could still keep an eye on the puja room. Neha extended a drawing she had made on a piece of ruled paper. Dhruman Baba sat up and examined the illustration. The simplistic crayon drawing featured a bearded man attacking what looked like a two-headed demon. She believes... This is how you will fight and defeat the evil spirits tomorrow, Ikta said with a smile as she stroked her sister's head. Is that right? Dhruman Baba said. Nehan nodded vigorously. Your young mind has seen so much. How are you feeling, my child? Dhruman Baba said. The last time they tried to hurt me, near the pool, I saw them. I saw their faces. I have, I have been having nightmares, Neha said. Dhruman Baba pulled Neha closer and embraced her tightly. I will not let anything harm you. Your sister and mother are here too, so don't you worry. Neha pulled back from the embrace and smiled proudly at her sister. Baba browsed in his cloth sack and extracted a red thread that was laced in ash. This will help you sleep. It will keep fear at bay. It is from a famed Bhadragali temple that I made a pilgrimage to many years ago, Baba said, wrapping the thread around Neha's tiny wrists. Neha looked pleased at this suggestion and ran to show it to her mother. Thank you, Baba, Ekta said. After this is over, you must consider what you want to do with your talents, Baba said. 
I don't know if I am worthy of the aspirations you have for me. I don't know if I have the strength, Ikta said. Everything I have heard and seen so far tells me that you do have the capability to rise above your station and fight righteous battles in this reality and in the netherworld, Dhruman Baba said. I hate the feeling of drowning under the weight of expectations. My father has left me with the responsibility of looking after my family. You and the guardian want me to become a warrior of light, Ikta was saying when Baba cut in. You have the responsibility because you are capable of it, Baba said. But Ikta offered before being silenced by Baba. Time and experience will strengthen your resolve. You will learn. Baba waited for a few moments before speaking. I will teach you if you wish me to do so. Ekta looked unsure. When in the last few weeks have you run away from danger? You have always run towards it. You have fought for the welfare of others. You have wielded light in truly dark times. Be what you were meant to be. Come into your power, Baba said. Ekta turned and glanced at her family and then back at Baba. Seeing her hesitant look, Baba said, Whatever you decide for your future, you must help me tomorrow. I cannot do what needs to be done without you. Ekta nodded. Come, let me walk you through my plan, Baba said. Parul and Sujatha rested on straw mats laid on the floor in front of the puja room. They were admiring Neha's new sacred thread. Lamps placed in front of a garlanded photo of Lord Shiva cast a warm glow on their faces, highlighting their jewellery. Their eyes reflected the wavering flames as they looked upon the image of Mahadeva with fear in their eyes. Only he could offer them solace. Engaging with Neha's antics distracted them temporarily. However, the threat posed by the unseen supernatural forces around them made them jittery. Sujata held a framed photo of her husband and son as she negotiated the suspenseful night. I am sure their memories give you comfort, Parul said. Sujata smiled. I was loved by a wonderful man and a sweet little boy. The knowledge that I was the object of their affection calms me, grounds me, she said. I am jealous, Parul said. My husband never loved me like that. But I have my children. They love me more than anyone else can. It's my turn to be jealous, Sujatha said sorrowfully. Parul playfully slapped Sujatha on the arm. My children consider you a saviour. I consider you a saviour. We will never forget what you have done for us. You are part of our family now. Sujatha placed a hand on Parul's hand and said, I always think back to the morning. My husband and son left for the market. When I woke up, I had this sickening feeling that something terrible was going to happen. When my son insisted on joining his father on the trip, I did not stop him. 
I did not air my anxieties. Tears were flowing freely down Sujatha's cheeks. I didn't do anything. I didn't stop my little one. I didn't prevent the love of my life from driving off to his death, she said. Parul moved closer to Sujatha and hugged her. Maybe this time I can make a difference, Sujatha said, breaking down. You have sheltered us when my family have cast me out. I will never forget it, Parul said. I am afraid, Parul, Sujatha said. I am fearful of what lives in that house. It has slain so many members of my family. I am afraid too, Parul said. You don't need to be at the ritual tomorrow. I want to be there for you, Sujatha said in a wavering tone that betrayed the truth. She was trying to sound brave, but inside she was a frightened doe, barely able to stand on its feet. Parul could see the fear in Sujatha's eyes as she considered the idea of being at the house when Baba performed the ritual to drive out the spirits. Five emaciated hounds, possessed by an infernal hunger for flesh, watched Sujatha's home from the shadowed alcoves of the night. Their pus-ridden eyes and their infected ears took in the sights and sounds, while their thin black lips, framing slavering mouths, twitched in anticipation. Tomorrow, they feast. After Parul, her children and Sujatha had assembled in the basement of the haunted house, Druman Baba set about the task of prepping the room for the upcoming ritual. Baba amazed everyone with his artistic skill as he drew a series of mandalas warded with phrases from the Atharva Veda on the basement floor. He then framed it with floral borders with the aid of multicolored chalks. He placed several lit lamps at the center of this sacred illustration before proceeding to draw a large circle closer to the eastern end of the room. This he decorated with prayers from Devi Mahatmyam and depictions of chakras and snakes. He placed a sculpture of Vishnu in his Varaha form at the center of the warded circle and commanded the others to stand within its boundaries at all times. Baba invited Ekta to join him at the squared ceremonial space where he sat in Padmasana. Let's begin, Baba said. Ekta repeated Baba's Vedic chants diligently. Over the last few days, he had drilled into her the importance of uttering words of power with the right cadence, pronunciation and clarity. After chanting several scrolls worth of mantras, Baba got up and grabbed a pickaxe that was leaning against the wall. 
He had grabbed it from Sujatha's backyard shed. Read the passage, Ascension of Devi, on page 83. Baba directed Ekta. Sujatha, Parul and Neha looked on with their palms joined as Ekta read the passage and Baba slammed the pickaxe into the spot which had previously opened a passage to Narakarane forest. Baba believed that this was the section of the wall which was the final resting place of the aggrieved twins. You might not notice anything at the beginning, but know that as we transition into the crucial stages of the ceremony, you will experience things that will shake you to the core. Dharman Baba had warned them earlier that morning. Parul and Sujatha sang their favorite prayers over the clash and bang of the axe pounding into the wall in an attempt to quell the fear threatening to paralyze their bodies. Neha, who was both fascinated and terrified by the ritual, joined them in singing the paeans. True to Baba's prediction, a feast of unexplainable phenomena greeted their eyes and ears. A pained moaning sound emerged from the house, the sound of an animal in mortal agony. The foundations of the house trembled as if a monstrous giant had awakened beneath it and was clambering up from the depths. Baba stopped and looked at Ekta. Time to chant the Vishnu Sahasranama. As Ekta began chanting the Lord's many names, Sujatha noticed her vision wavering ever so slightly and streaks of blue lights appearing and disappearing with great rapidity. Lord Vishnu, give me the strength, she said. The walls around them pulsed with energy and ripples that defied the laws of physics disturbed their surface. Sujatha gasped at the sight of these illusions. Are you seeing this? she asked Parul. Parul looked wide-eyed at the spectral sights surrounding her and nodded fearfully. As Sujatha looked on, the walls projected visions of her departed family members, people who had fallen victim to the curse of the twin poltergeists. Here was the sight of an uncle killed by falling masonry. There was the vision of an aunt choking on food. Only in this version of events, she could see the vengeful ghostly hands of the monstrous twins forcing their untimely deaths. One after another, scenes of the worst atrocities they had perpetrated on Sujatha's family played out on the walls like a cinema screen. Strength fled from Sujatha's body as she was force-fed this bloody history of cruelty. The eight-year-old girl, the former resident of the haunted home, being pushed down the stairs. Sujatha's young cousin, chased onto the road by a fearsome apparition and being run over by a truck. No, 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 stop it, stop it, Sujatha muttered. Are you okay? What are you seeing? Parul inquired. Are you not seeing this? Seeing what those things did to my family, Sujatha said. 
I can see strange lights. That's all, Parul said. Sujatha's face took on a deathly pallor as her eyes fell on the moving image of her husband's car. She could see the happy faces of her husband and son in the front seat. No, 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 not this, not this, she muttered helplessly. She saw the twin monstrosities materializing in the middle of the road, causing the vehicle to swerve and crash into a tree. She witnessed her husband's face slam into the steering wheel, his facial bones shattering and his neck cranking in an impossible angle. Her son flew out through the windshield and slammed the top of his head against the tree. His small head split like a ripened fruit. No! Sujatha screamed. I cannot be here. I want to go home. Baba stopped his assault on the wall and turned to face her. You are disturbing my concentration. I asked you to pray and wait within the boundaries of that sacred space for your own welfare. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Sujatha wailed and fell to the floor. Do not pay heed to the illusions around you, Baba instructed. No, no, I can't, I can't, Sujatha wept. Baba sighed and dropped the pickaxe. He curtailed his frustration and approached the fallen woman. He pulled a sacred thread from one of the folds in his dhoti and gave it to Sujatha. Hold on to this at all times. Even your house might not be safe, but this might buy you time. Sujatha snatched the thread from Baba's hands. I will be driving off immediately, Sujatha said, crying tears of relief. Good, Baba said with a wry smile. Off you go. Sujatha stood up, wiping her tears. I'm sorry, Parul, she said to the middle-aged woman, hugging Neha's frightened body. I wanted to be here. For all of you. We understand, Parul said. Now go. Sujatha was nearly run over by the police jeep as she raced out of the gates of the haunted house. The vehicle lightly bumped her as it came to a screeching halt, knocking her off her feet and dropping her onto her butt. What are you, blind? The sub-inspector, who was seated in the passenger seat, screamed. He took a few moments to calm himself before inquiring, Are you all right, madam? A constable jumped out of the back of the jeep and helped her up to her feet. Where were you going in such a hurry? The middle-aged, moustached inspector asked the woman, who was swiping at her dirt-encrusted sari. Just heading home, to grab a few things, she said hesitantly. The sub-inspector looked at the haunted house suspiciously and said, What were you doing there? Sujatha thought for a few seconds before answering, There is a Grihapravesh puja going on there for a family that has just moved in. All right, the officer said, refusing to take his eyes off the ominous-looking home. He then pulled a photo out of his pocket and showed it to Sujatha, 
It was an image of the neighborhood bully Bithu cutting his birthday cake. Have you seen this kid around? The inspector asked. Not for a few days, which is surprising. He's always involved in some sort of mischief. Just rides up and down the street causing trouble. Sujatha responded. That's because he has been missing for days, the inspector said. Really? What happened, sir? Sujatha inquired. We are not sure at this stage. His friends think that he has run away. His parents seem to think otherwise. But we found his stolen bicycle last night, and the thief confessed that he found it lying somewhere along this street, although he couldn't remember exactly where. Oh, God! Sujatha exclaimed. You wouldn't happen to know where he is, would you? He asked in a suspicious voice. Sujatha shook her head. We will be door knocking along the street over the next few days. So make sure you are at home and keep an eye out for anything strange. He said before signaling the driver to get a move on. I will, Sujatha responded. The jeep drove off leaving Sujata behind in a cloud of dust. She clenched the pallu of her sari nervously. What happened to that brat? She looked up at the house and mumbled. Did they do something to him? Unable to hold that line of thought and the horrifying possibilities it offered, Sujata rushed off, failing to notice that during the fall, she had lost the sacred thread that Baba had provided her for her protection. <laughs> Sujatha barged into her home via the main door and closed it behind her before arrowing towards the rack on the wall to grab her car keys. She couldn't find the keys on there. Shit, she muttered in frustration. Rattled by the sights in the house and the terrible news given to her by the policeman, her hands shook as she engaged in a fumbling search through nearby cabinets and drawers. There was no sign of the key. She scanned the living room in panic before spotting her quarry under the thick Sunday newspaper on her coffee table. As she triumphantly picked up the keys, her eyes fell on the large French doors at the back of the house. It was wide open. Did I not lock it before we left? She wondered. She raced to the back of the house to close it. However, before she could reach the doors, one of the rabid street dogs that she had encountered when Dhruman Baba had first arrived at her home stalked into the dining room. It growled and bared its yellow fangs which slavered thick ropes of drool. More snarls rang through the house as two more dogs emerged from her bedroom, their eyes pursing and opening with devilish intentions. Two barks startled her as she witnessed a new pair of beasts flanking her from the living room. Where did they come from? She wondered. Sujatha bit back a scream as a shudder racked her body. 
Cold tentacles of dread threatened to squeeze the air out of her lungs. She remembered Baba's sacred thread and searched for it on her person, but it was nowhere to be found. Her stomach threatened to empty its contents. No, 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 she muttered as the creatures stalked forwards. Their heads stooped low and their ears perked up. Their emaciated bodies tensed with anticipation, making them look even more skeletal and menacing. The dog that had breached the back door was the first to latch onto her sari. Sujata grabbed an umbrella which was lying on the dining table and smacked the creature on its head. It yelped and let her go before trying again. This time, it tore off the lower half of her sari before receiving a hard blow to its snout. Sujatha turned around and waved the umbrella at the other creatures menacingly, but it did not seem to have any effect. Buoyed by their numerical superiority, they inched closer, snarling and snapping their menacing moors. Sujatha leapt over one of the animals, still waving her makeshift weapon, in a futile attempt to bolt towards the main door. She was brought down by a swift and crunching bite to her Achilles heel, which sent a scolding wave of pain through her body. Sujatha screamed as pain sheeted through her. She slammed into the floor, cracking open her head in the process. Black spots danced in front of her vision as a canine shape loomed out of the blur and attacked her front on. It latched onto her face and tugged at her skin, ripping it off like a glove being removed from warmed hands. Another beast climbed onto her back and began champing at her neck, while the other animals went for her torso and legs. Vicious bites and savage yanks delivered by famished mouths soon deprived Sujatha of her flesh. Her blood sprayed on her expensive furniture and pooled around her as she was stripped to the bone by a pack of malevolent creatures under the influence of a terrifying supernatural force. She thought she saw her husband and son watching the proceedings sorrowfully from a corner of the room. But then her attackers robbed her of her vision. She screamed for a while till one of the animals managed to turn her around and ripped out her throat, silencing her forever. A thumping crack of Dhruman Baba's pickaxe split open the concrete and revealed two dried-up human faces fixed in masks of agony. At the sight of the desiccated corpses, Baba seized his destruction of the wall and stared at the unfortunate souls entombed within. 
for a while the only sounds in the room were the chants uttered by ekta muted prayers from parul and neha's lips and baba's heavy breathing they all looked down in horror at the pained expressions on the dead twins fossils of the malicious forces that had made their life a living hell it's time baba said as he invited ekta to join him bring my yoga danda and bag baba said ekta picked up the intricately designed y-shaped short staff and the tote bag covered in red vegetable dye prints of sacred mantras and joined baba baba grabbed a small bottle from inside the bag and slung it back over his shoulder he gripped the danda in his right arm his muscles rippling as he latched onto it he raised the bottle up to ekta's eyeline and said like i said to you last night this bottle contains kishore lal's guilt it will help us lure the demonic forces out into the open i want you to focus on this purpose as we travel to narakaranya ekta nodded and turned towards her mother and her sister their frightened forms filled her with great concern for their welfare she should be here protecting them but duty called a duty she was told would in fact help her save their lives she ran towards them and hugged them both always stay within the boundaries of the barrier it will keep you safe we won't be long baba said gazing at the display of affection you stay within the circle nenu at all times and listen to mother ekta told neha didi will you be okay neha asked with concern as you once said i am a superhero i will be fine baba will look after me ekta said please keep my daughter safe parul pleaded i wouldn't have involved your daughter in this ritual but we have no choice i need ekta baba said ekta hugged parul tightly she then kissed her mother's tear-stained face and let go she caressed neha's wavy hair briefly and embraced her before rejoining baba i'm ready ekta said Baba drew occult symbols on the section of the wall hiding the torsos and the legs of the bodies. He then poured out a stream of clear liquid onto his palm from Kishore Lal's bottle and applied it on the exposed faces of the corpses. If I don't make it, you must will your way back here and burn this spot. Baba said, pointing to the distressed faces of the dead men. then you leave the house with your family and run far away from here to another state if possible it might not be a permanent solution but you will banish the taint for a while giving you enough time to maybe sever your ties with these monsters to truly banish this evil from the world we must succeed today but there are no guarantees so i am arming you with this knowledge so that you can have a chance at a new life Do you understand? Yes, I do, Ekta said. Come, let's begin our journey 
to that wretched limbo, Baba said. Baba's blessed bright deposited him and Ekta in a section of the forest where the vegetation was sparser, offering visibility in all directions. A whistling gust of wind drew Ekta's attention to her rear. Suspended in mid-air was a magical, transparent aperture through which she could see the basement and the sight of her family praying for a miracle. Baba, who looked worse for wear, caught her gaze and said, We need to keep that pathway open. But as you can see, it is taking a toll on my well-being. Ekta was astounded by this psychic feat, and in awe of the powers Baba had garnered through decades of rigorous practice and utter devotion to the Trimurthis. Pay attention. I need you to focus. I am drawing on your powers as well to bolster the ritual. Ekta turned her gaze away from the mystical aperture. Baba extracted the bottle containing the liquefied version of Kishorlal's guilt and opened its lid, letting the wind in the wretched domain catch its scent. Where are you, fell beasts? Come, Baba growled, hoping that this act would alert the monstrous twins. Within moments, there was a disturbance in the foliage ahead as a reedy figure approached them. It wore disheveled and torn clothes covered in dried bloodstains. The rendered sections revealed the desiccated skin of a corpse within. Arms with unnaturally long skeletal fingers dangled on its sides and it walked gingerly as if it was striding on a bed of broken glass. Every step it took hurt and its hollow mouth, framed by dried-up brown lips, formed a grimace to express this pain. Its eyes were voids of darkness which wept brown goop. You weren't expecting me, were you? Kishore Lal said. Sujatha's corpse juddered animatedly as an evil force violated the sanctity of her dead body. An ungodly anima poured into her form and bid her to crawl on all fours like an animal. Her excoriated head lolled and dripped blood as the newly birthed monstrosity raced out of the dining room and out onto the street gunning for the basement where her prey awaited. Actually, I was expecting you, hoping for your participation even. It would be great for our quarry to feed on you, once they have finished consuming the tears of your guilt. They would appreciate that final touch, Baba said, drawing the entity's attention to the bottle. The creature laughed, an inhuman sound like a chuckle streaming out of a grill of bones. 
They won't come, it said haughtily. They are busy elsewhere. The creature circled them, its vacant eyes watching them with amusement. I know their movements. I have gotten better at tracking them. That is how I have managed to stay one step ahead of them and survive in this place. It said. Where are they? Ikta asked angrily. Shall we begin? It said before snapping two of its skeletal fingers together. The wind picked up, slowly at first. It was the susurration of a late afternoon breeze, before building up into a wind that shook the canopy violently and swept away leaves and other botanical detritus resting on the forest floor. Then it became a gale that tore through the trees, bending and snapping branches and trunks. Debris flew past Baba and Ekta like weaponized projectiles, as Kishorlal's inhuman mouth twisted into a malevolent smile. The neighborhood bully with whose body twitched into a malignant state of wakefulness in one of the locked rooms of the haunted house. His deformed body was cratered with dried wounds and purple spots of bruising. Yellow patches of skin bulged and shifted as maggots squirmed within to escape their prison of dead flesh. The brain matter forced out through the seams in his cracked skull formed a disgusting crown of grizzle atop his malformed head. His face was a mess of protruding bones that had exploded out of their dermal barrier. He uttered jumbled sounds of hatred, willed by the ignoble forces that controlled him as he stepped towards the door. The door flung open involuntarily. A spiteful recital filled his head with rage as he was fed selected memories of the insults he had suffered at the hands of Ekta and Parul. He shambled towards the feast awaiting him in the basement. The hurricane force wind was now threatening to lift Ekta and Baba off their feet. Kishorlal, the author of this vile sorcerous manifestation, stood still as an immovable mountain, watching his victims with disdain. Where are they? Baba asked, a sense of panic creeping into his voice. Why are you bothered about them? You and I are present. Is that not enough? You are about to endure the suffering you were always destined for. The voices here in the woods. They have told me all about your pathetic war against the forces of Naraka. This is your punishment for engaging in that foolish enterprise. So there is no guilt in you, Baba taunted. Maybe a little. Whatever you managed to capture in that bottle. But the truth is that I always hated the twins for the deprivations and the misery they heaped on me. The opportunities, the wealth I could have enjoyed if only I didn't have their burden on my shoulders. They were the source of all my sorrows, 
so I punished them. I let them starve on purpose. I murdered them in the slowest, cruelest way possible, on purpose. There, is that what you wanted to hear? Kishor Lal said, You are evil. That is why you are able to tap into the dark anima of this cursed domain and craft such elemental obstacles. But these gimmicks are not worthy hurdles for the practitioners of Mahatantra. I am a disciple of the hallowed light magic crafted by the Trimurtis. I am the sword of the Varaha avatar of Lord Vishnu. I will banish this charade and conquer your blasphemous soul. Baba roared. Maybe, but in the process, others might die, he said cruelly, looking at Ekta. You cannot touch her while my heart is still beating, Baba said. No, not her. She will die here with you, by my hands. I mean, the others, Kishor Lal said. What do you mean? Baba asked. Kishor Lal smiled. Where are the twins? Ekta asked, stepping in between Baba and the entity. Kishor Lal fixed his eyes on the glowing aperture behind them, the magical portal that offered a path back to the real world. Then he roared with laughter. Ekta realized the intent of his hysterics as she followed his gaze to its end point. She looked through the tear in the fabric of reality to find the bloody and animated cadavers of Vidhu and Sujata climbing down the stairs and approaching the terrified forms of her mother and sister. The sight of the cadaverous beings birthed in the pits of hell approaching them filled Padul and Neha with debilitating terror. The realization that these were the corrupted forms of people they once knew exponentially enhanced the feeling of disgust and horror. The groaning zombie that was once an energetic and mischievous boy named Vidhu plodded down the stairs, its baleful eyes fixed on the trembling humans. Sujata, who could only be identified by the bloody remnants of her clothes, scuttled down the steps like an insect. The bloodshot eyes, set within a raw fleshless face, which featured a broad rictus grin, watched its hapless prey with glee. <coughs> Neha's high-pitched scream cut through the terror-filled atmosphere of the basement, as Parul assessed the sacred barrier protecting them. She prayed to all the gods in the Hindu pantheon to keep them safe and willed them to maintain the integrity of the Rekha, now that the monstrous beings were just a handspan away from them.
Drumil Baba extended his yoga dhanda forwards and walked towards Kishorlal, braving the gale force winds repelling his advances. Flying debris gouged wounds on his body, and the act of approaching the vile spirit drained Baba's vitality at a slow but insidiously steady pace. Ekta monitored the events in the basement through the interdimensional conduit that was the aperture. She saw that the living dead inhabited by the twin spirits were testing the consecrated psychic shield, probing it for weaknesses. It held firmly for a while, but as Baba got closer to Kishorlal and the very act caused his energy to wane, holes began appearing in the shield. The unholy creations raked out their limbs. One even managed to score bloody lines on Neha's tiny legs. Baba too saw what was happening as he glanced over his shoulder, even as he marched onwards. The sight pained him greatly. Baba, whose body and mind were suffering greatly, called upon the reserves of his psychic might and cut through the repellent wind. With the heaving might of his inner strength, he made several forward lunges, closing the distance between him and Kishorlal and placing the tip of his danda on the creature's forehead. The intensity of the gale dulled instantly, providing him a window of opportunity to turn and address Ekta. Here, take the bottle, Baba said. Remember what I told you. Baba, but you, you won't survive, Ekta said, flustered. Don't worry about me, child. Save your family. Burn the corpses. Leave me here, he urged her. Baba flung the bottle containing Kishorlal's guilt in Ekta's direction. She caught the bottle, gave Baba one last sad glance and willed her way through the glowing portal. Sujatha's corrupted form tasted the blood from the little girl's leg with great delight. She hungrily licked at her grime-caked fingers each tasting of the little one's blood filling her with ecstasy. If the blood can provide such delights, imagine what feasting on her flesh would be like. Sujatha's ravenous brain cooed. In the beginning, the barrier had held her back and her wicked partner. It was like trying to breach an invisible wall of flames. When their skin made contact with its warded surface, it charred and sizzled like barbecued meat. But their persistence had paid off. The wall was weakening. The souls of the twins that lived within their bodies rejoiced. Vidhu tore open a flesh wound on Parul's right upper arm, eliciting a yelp of pain from the fragile woman. They pressed closer to their quarry, like predators closing in on their prey for a final onslaught. The killing blows were about to be landed. Neha screamed and tried to drag her mother out of the barrier, but Parul held on to her, trying to calm her down. We mustn't. We can't. It's the only thing keeping us alive, she said. 
Fools, it is only a matter of time. Give up. Come out of your house of straw. Sujatha said in a grating voice. What happened to you, Sujatha? Parul asked in a tone full of pathos. Who is Sujatha? The thing said as if it was insulted. We, we are, are nameless. nameless. The living dead uttered in unison. You two, stay away from my daughter. You come past that line, you will both turn to ashes, Parul said. Which line? Uh, this one? Vidhu's possessed corpse said as he stepped past the circumference of the circle. His rotting flesh crossed the threshold with minimal damage. The barrier had weakened. A big grin was plastered on Sujatha's flayed face as she too crossed the psychic blockade. <laughs> the flesh eater hissed and her browning teeth chattered in a frenzied rhythm, eliciting howls of fear from the little girl hugging her mother's leg. The creatures were within the sacred circle and readying their bone-taloned hands to land their final blows when the barrier was suddenly restored to its full might. The fabric of reality tore open and Ekta emerged from within with a howl of rage. The restored shield sheeted the monstrosities with punishing flames that charred their cursed flesh. They roared in agony and retreated swiftly as the divine fire took a toll on their already disintegrating flesh. Ekta grabbed the pickaxe leaning against the wall that Baba had used to cut open the wall. She held it up like a weapon and screamed, Stay away from my family, you dead wretches! Baba's Yogadanda cooked the flesh on Kishore Lal's forehead. The noxious spirit screeched in pain as he felt the psychic punishment core into his being. Baba glanced back through the mystical portal to discover that Ekta had successfully transitioned to the real world and she was protecting her family against the onslaught of the reanimated corpses. He turned his attention back to his rival, who was pushing back against his preternatural will. The wind that had weakened previously now surged with a renewed fury as the spirit's skeletal fingers transformed into bird talons and dug into its oppressor's flesh. Baba bayed in pain as sharp spear tips furrowed his arms with bloody wounds. The flow of the sacred energy surging through his thunder slowed considerably as he felt his energy centers weaken. Consequently, the portal between the worlds also shrunk in size. 
With a bellow of anger, Kishore Lal's spirit shoved back his attacker. Baba flew into the air and his flailing body made a hard landing right next to the ever-shrinking mystical aperture after travelling some distance. Pangs of pain assaulted Baba's body as the glow of divine energy in his chakras dwindled to almost nothing. He realised that the end was near now. There was no way he could fight off the monstrous being in front of him and keep the aperture open at the same time. It was time to go down fighting. Ekta was on her own, and he hoped she would be able to follow through with his instructions in a timely manner. The least he could do was to prevent Kishore Lal from returning to the earthly plane of reality. Kishore Lal strode towards Baba, laughing haughtily. He clapped and capered for a while before thrusting both his wrists in Baba's direction. Fluorescent shafts of smoky light shot out of Kishore Lal's extended arms and slammed into Baba's writhing form. The agony was unbearable. A thousand sharpened blades ripped into his flesh and fried his nerves. Baba screamed the names of the Thramurthis as the accumulated wrath of the hateful ghost ripped his body apart with dark energies conjured from the vilest pits of Naraka. Darkness crept from the corners of his eyes as his awareness threatened to slip into oblivion. Ekta laid about her with the pickaxe, tearing off chunks of meat from the assailants baying for her family's blood. <coughs> Each time they lashed out at Ekta in an attempt to discourage her strikes, she redoubled her efforts. She jabbed them with the flat top of the axe, before sweeping the deadly tool in wide arcs that punched holes in their suppurating forms. Ekta could hear Neha crying in pain from the wounds on her flesh. It filled her with rage. Her protective instinct pumped adrenaline into her nerves, transforming her into a berserker warrior of light. With every swing of the axe, she lopped off limbs and carved out flesh from the festering zombies groaning and snarling at her. Sujatha had lost both of her arms. She stood upright, the bloody stumps of her upper limbs hanging loose, its tips looking like roadkill. That is not going to harm us. You know that. Nothing can kill us. Sujatha mouthed evilly. Vidhu, whose necrotized body was a canvas of bloody wounds and cored tunnels of flesh, let out a mocking laughter at this statement. Then you can surely take this, Ikta said, sweeping both creatures off their feet with the sweeping attack aimed at their lower limbs. <gasps> the undead fell to the floor with a wet squelch. Ikta took advantage of the lull in the combat to look back through the portal and found it rapidly shrinking. She caught a glimpse of Baba lying on the floor. 
Her mentor was roaring in pain as punishing emerald rays thundered into his squirming frame. The tantric's defeated form was at the mercy of Kishorlal's cursed phantasmal marionette, which was rapidly approaching him to land the final blow. Listen to me. Burn the bodies with the tears. She heard Baba's fading voice in her head. Ekta glanced at her weeping family. Her loyalty to her family was unquestionable, and they were her priority. But the sacred warrior in her urged her to transcend her current state of mind and act for the common good, for scenarios that existed beyond this moment of crisis. Here, at this moment of anguish, jeopardy and indecision, the importance of the duty assigned to her came into sharp focus. A great destiny in the service of the Thirmurtis and countless innocent souls yet to be tormented by the likes of the fell beasts before her awaited. She turned and faced the corpses that were swaying up from the floor. Their movement was clearly compromised by her vicious attacks. She dropped the pickaxe and extracted the bottle, which she promptly opened. As the scent of the tears within wafted out and filled the room with acrid smell, she said to the living dead, Here, this is what you always wanted, isn't it? Now go get the man who wronged you. The maleficent eyes of the two zombies widened in recognition. Outrage coloured the expressions on their skin-flayed faces. Their doomed carcasses shivered with indignation as painful memories racked their bodies. Ekta aimed and threw the bottle through the portal at her teacher. Baba, catch it. Guru, my Guru, save yourself so that you may teach me the ways of Mahatantra. She spoke in her mind, hoping that Dhruman Baba would hear it. The restored corpses dropped to the floor. The dark anima that had once powered them fled their fleshy confines. The twin spirits resembled vaporous clouds as they rocketed out of the formerly possessed bodies. They chased the bottle through the portal and entered Narakarinya just before it sealed shut with a shower of sparks. Ekta could not visually confirm that the powerful artifact had reached Baba. She prayed she had succeeded in delivering the deadly payload to his capable hands. Even if she did, was it too late? Was Baba even alive? Baba, she said regretfully, I hope I haven't doomed us all. Saying this, she took her family in a warm embrace and waited for whatever end fate had ordained for them. Kishor Lal's psychotic hatred burned into Baba's flesh, eliciting heart-rending cries of pain from the Tantric. He had made peace with the fact that his time had come. He remembered the travails of his childhood, his adoption by the Doyans of the ashram, and his intense training in the sacred halls of the sanctuary, which was thrice blessed by the Thramurthis. 
Most of all, he remembered Adi. His sweet, loving Adi. Another bolt of fiery energy seared into his flesh and his body twisted and arced up in pain. Then he heard Ekta's voice, faintly at first, before it resonated in his mind like a giant temple bell rung during Arathi. Guru, my Guru, catch it, my Guru, survive, teach me the ways of Mahatantra, she said. A sensation akin to lashings of psychic waves poured energy into his tired limbs. Its intensity rejuvenated his mind and gave him clarity that cut through the intense pain. Drawing on this unexpected surge of life-giving vigour, Baba lifted his hand and guided it up in anticipation of the bottle's emergence. The bottle shot through the aperture and Baba deftly grabbed it. The twin spirits also emerged from the same portal in the form of snarling fiery clouds. As soon as they arrived on the cursed landscape of Narakarinia, they coalesced into their conjoined shape, attached to each other at their hips. Their ogreish, hairy bodies were covered in throbbing pustules and leprous open wounds. Their skin was a diseased medium for maggots to thrive in. The twin heads which featured gleaming maws and leering yellow eyes swayed like coral cilia in the water as they marched forwards, determined to destroy everything in their path. <laughs> One of the damned faces featured a beard, while the other was hairless. Regardless, they induced terror in the hearts of those who cast their eyes upon them. Kishore Lal froze mid-stride and the fell light beams from his hand were snuffed out as fear gripped his blighted spirit form. Baba groaned with the effort of lifting his head up. He saw the eyes of the twin monstrosities flirting between his prone form and the trembling Kishore Lal. They were deciding on the order in which they would exterminate their helpless prey. He flicked the bottle and smashed it against Kishore Lal's feet. The fluid sizzled and smoked as it fell on the cursed soil of Narakaranya and coated Kishore Lal's yellow flesh. The sight and scent of the liquid drove the Rektarashas mad as they bounded forward and tackled their nemesis to the forest floor. A series of growls and screams emerged from the scrum of spectre-on-spectre -spectre violence as Baba gingerly got up to his feet. The twins were tearing Kishore Lal's wraith form apart in a frenzy they must have employed to destroy his mortal body many years ago. Clearly, their rage hadn't been abated by that physical and very real act of savagery. Kishore Lal, to his credit, 
fought back, blinding one of the twins with his taloned hands and tearing the ears of the other sibling. Baba raised his Yogadanda to the sky and willed a punishing series of lightning strikes to pummel the spot where the vengeful ghosts brawled. Dark clouds that had previously aided Kishorlal's elemental magic parted and a clear blue sky showed through. An almighty thunder rocked the heavens before a powerful chain of white-hot energy raced down and smashed into the warring monsters. The mortal enemies, completely obsessed with the fulfillment of their vendetta, were caught unawares by the furious attack. Baba poured all the knowledge and siddhi he had gained over decades into the conjuration of the atmospheric phenomenon. He bolstered the impact of the unsparing magic attack with incantations and warding gestures. Trapped in its fiery web, the pain-wracked undead convulsed and roared in frustration and pain. Go to the pits of Naraga where you belong, dark souls. Eternal punishment awaits you in that hellish prison. Go and consume your just deserts, Baba said before launching into another series of chants that saw a pillar of firelight sheet down on the poltergeists. When the blazing attack, which had birthed a temporary sun amidst the trees, died out, dark anima bled out of their malformed appearances like motes of light. Then the faint illumination dulled as they transformed into a rain of ash. The conflagration wiped out acres of forest and left a black crater where the wild spirits once stood. Baba, who was unharmed by the fury of the decisive blow, briefly glimpsed the human forms of his opponents, looking at him with a mixture of pathos and gratitude, before that too melted away into a cool breeze. Padul, Neha and Ekta sat inside the sacred circle, gazing at the wall that had ferried Baba to Narakaranya. It had been an hour since the aperture had closed behind the hollering spirits, as they followed the bottle into that dreadful domain of the dead. Is Baba going to come back, Didi? Neha asked in a sad voice. He will. My heart says so, Ekta said. She then glanced at her mother, looking for support. Parul shook her head, expressing reservations. She clearly didn't want to get Neha's hopes up. As the minutes ticked on, Ekta was forced to confront the reality that Baba was lost to them forever.
the stranger who had walked into their lives a few days ago had done more for them than their blood relations. He sacrificed himself for us, Ekta said tearfully, so that we may go on. And we will, Parul said. I wasn't there for you when your father left us. I know. I was in a dark prison of my own making, closed off from the world, unavailable to my dearest children. It was selfish. Ekta laid a consoling hand on her mother's shoulder. Parul grabbed onto the same hand and said, After what we have gone through, I know how capable you are at protecting our family. Not that I ever doubted that, but I should never have burdened you with that responsibility. Parul broke down. The responsibility was given to me because I could bear it. And I would do it again, Ekta said, echoing Baba's advice to her. Baba! <laughs> Baba! Neha cried, pressing her wet face into her mother's thigh. A sizzling sound drew the attention of those present in the basement. A thin band of sparks manifested mid-air before disappearing abruptly. It happened so quickly that the witnesses refused to believe at first that they had seen it with their naked eyes. Then it happened again, and this time there was consensus that the phenomena had occurred. A blue pillar of light seeped into the room as a portal opened up. Baba stepped out of the tear and the fabric of reality, bloodied and battered, but mostly intact. Ekta sprang to her feet excitedly and ran to assist her teacher. Baba! Baba! she exclaimed. Baba stumbled and landed on one knee. He winced as jarring pain shot up his injured body. Ekta grabbed him by his shoulder and helped him up. Baba steadied himself as Parul joined to support his weakened form. You okay, Baba? she inquired. Neha slammed into Baba's legs to deliver a tight hug while squealing with joy. Baba yowled with pain before letting out a series of painful laughs. The others joined in, buoyed by the levity the little one had brought to the situation. Is it over? Parul asked once they had stopped laughing. Baba nodded and smiled at a grateful Parul. Then he turned to face Ekta. I heard you. Out there in that hellish place, amidst all that hatred, I heard you. Ekta smiled even as tears streamed down her face. I called out to you because I'm ready, because now I understand what I must do, she said as she knelt and placed her hands on his blood-stained feet. Teach me, Guru. Baba placed his open palms on the back of her head and showered her with blessings and gave her his approval.